Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited, so you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff Frumis. Who am I? Who am I? I am nobody. I'm just a guy who is a big fan of the Misfits. And I also am a filmmaker. And I guess I'll start at the beginning. So about 10 years ago, actually more like 12 years ago, I was working um, on a documentary for a friend in Chicago about George Romero. And uh, you've never seen it, but you you can look it up. It's called Dead On, The Life and Times of George Romero. It's a fantastic documentary. I hope that sees the light of day someday. I'm telling you, with all these documentary projects, shit just does not come out. Uh, you would be surprised how many documentaries there were attempted about the Misfits, uh, separate from uh, what I'm doing here now, or what I've been trying to do. And this project, um, like I said, it's it's about 10 years old. It's been around uh, for, for, for a long time. I just never talked about it or posted about it uh, for a lot of uh, obvious reasons. Uh, kept it off the internet. It wasn't until... It wasn't until the reunion in 2016 where I was like, "Holy shit, I got to make a Facebook page for this thing and, and put it out, uh, put it up, and you know, try and you know, um, start it up again." Uh, so what happened was I was working on this thing in Chicago about George Romero, and I thought it was the coolest project ever because it's like you know I'm a huge George Romero fan, and I uh, I loved seeing all these different people uh, in George Romero's life talking about George Romero. Uh, there is a George Romero interview in there, but it's really, I thought the, the most interesting part was all these, these little voices that, you know, you never hear from. And so um, it, it inspired me to uh, kind of, you know, uh, it made me think in my head. I was like, I was like, man, you know, no one's ever done this uh, about the Misfits. You know what I mean? Like nobody's made something on the Misfits. Uh, and this must have been around 2009. I was like, wow, how cool would it be to go around, track down some of these guys, interview them, and put this thing together and as a love letter, you know, to the band. Uh, and so that's what I started doing. And my first interview was with Mr. Jim, the drummer on the Static Age album. I'm just warning you, this is going to get really fucking nerdy. Like, so disgustingly nerdy, it's ridiculous. Like, we're going to get fucking nerdy. Because you know what the thing is? Miss, I've been saying this for years. Misfits fans are the Star Wars nerds of the music world. 
You know what I'm saying? And, um, yeah. So, uh, so I interviewed Mr. Jim, and that started this long quest that, uh, on and off quest for the last decade uh, to make this project. And the reason why I'm doing this uh, live stream right now is because I thought, you know, uh, being like hunkered down here and, you know, not really being able to go out and, and sort of like having all this extra time that I didn't really have before, it's time to really refocus uh, efforts on making making this thing uh, or bringing this thing to life. And so, so where was I in my story? So I started interviewing a lot of people um, that were close to the band. Um, some were named, some are not. Uh, and uh, it was amazing. Like, I just was learning so much stuff about this band that I loved. And here's the thing, you know, everybody discovers the Misfits a different way. For me, I was 15 years old. I, like, found this band. I found this band, like, I found out about this band. I knew, I had known the skull. And, you know... Uh, I didn't have vinyl, we, I had CDs, and, and so, you know, I'm looking at all the artwork on on these CDs, and I'm like, you know, going to Misfit Central, I learned about Misfit Central, and I'm just like, I started developing my own, like, mythology about, like, who these who these guys were, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I had it in my head, I listened to the lyrics of Halloween too. I was like, oh, they're all werewolves, and like, every time they got a new member, you know, they turned them into a werewolf, like, all this, like, you know, adolescent, you know, um, capture my imagination sort of shit. And so, um, yeah, I just developed my love for the band the way the same way everybody develops their love for a band. And I just wanted to know as much about them as I possibly could. And, you know, um, I want to say this about this project, and this is super important. And, and don't worry, we're going to get to the cool shit later. I promise. Uh, this is just a big introduction uh, slash experiment. Like I said, we are... Uh, all hunkered away, and so I thought, what a great time to go on Facebook Live and, and talk about this and introduce who I am, uh, which is nobody. I really am just nobody. I'm just a dude trying to make a friggin' uh, movie for a long, long time that I get frustrated with, and I put it down, and then I pick it back up again. Oh, what's up, man? Friggin', I'm gonna butcher your name. You you make great friggin' Misfits art, though, and that dude rules. Check out his art. Gore something. Put a link to your your art, your beautiful Misfits art in this, in the comments here. Uh, it's Gore something, Gore Vision. He did this beautiful Earth AD stuff and like he retold the comic book. He did a comic book on uh, on the creation of London Dungeon. Really cool stuff. Uh, so anyway, what is this uh, this project and, 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 and everything? Um, so number one, I am not affiliated with anybody from the Misfits. 100%. This documentary is not endorsed or affiliated by anybody in the Misfits, obviously. Um, I, it is not a negative documentary. It is a, uh, this is what I've been saying forever and forever and forever. This is a positive fan appreciation piece about a band that we all fucking love. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I probably, and do I, and then the next question I'm always, always asked is, uh, as I said, I'm not affiliated, but have I interviewed Jerry Doyle or Danzig? No. And for obvious reasons, I probably never will, although I would love to. I don't think that is ever going to go down, and I think that ultimately, if I ever want to see this thing made, I'm never going to be able to get those guys. Uh, and that's just the reality of the situation. And more reality started to, you know, 
uh, develop as I came to that realization. Because, you know, I, was, I, I legitimately thought years ago that if I keep getting these interviews and I build up a sizzle reel, I would be able to attract, you know, uh, attract um, uh, uh, more and more people from the inner circle. And I got to some, uh, but many I could not. And uh, so, yeah, so Jerry, uh, Glenn, and Doyle are not involved in this thing in any way, shape, or form. And, and uh, like, this is an unauthorized project. Just want to put that out there again. Um, the next thing. What was the next thing? Uh, so, yeah, so I was just going around getting these interviews. Uh, and then what happened was I hit a wall, I hit a brick wall, where I could not get any more interviews. And it's not that like I couldn't get them. It was just getting harder and harder. I was jumping through loops. I talked to some really fucking cool people, like really fucking cool people who I'm not going to name, who I just got so close um, uh, to soliciting interviews from them. And it ultimately, you know, I got the, the line of questions. Who's involved with this? Does Danzig know about it? Blah, 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 blah. And every time I just was like, sorry, I'm not interested or I don't want to be a part of this and blah, blah, blah. And I know that other people who are in my, who have tried, who have, who have been in, uh, you know, on a similar path in this realm have had similar success as I have or lack of thereof. Uh, and I got very frustrated and this is like the hard thing. This is the thing that sucks about making art for, for those artists out there. Um, I got very tired of pushing and pushing and putting a hundred thousand percent into, into this passion of mine, this band. Um, and wanting to tell uh, the story of this band in this very interesting way. And the name, they came from Lodi, is done for many reasons, obviously. Uh, but I just, you know, it came from, obviously, uh, you know, 1950s horror movies, something that the Misfits love deeply. And it's just like, it's just like, you know, uh, uh, they came from Lodi. And anybody who's in the know, just in the way, like, in the 90s, before the internet, before anything, if you saw someone, if you saw someone with this symbol right here, you knew that they knew what was up. It was like, it's like a secret fraternity. And so in the same way, that's what the, the title was all about. It's like, they came from Lodi. Anybody who's a Misfits fan knows who comes from Lodi. And it doesn't even need to be said. And obviously it doesn't need to be said for a lot of reasons. You know what I'm saying? So, um... So, but what happened was, I started to get really, really tired, uh, really, really frustrated, and got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore, or it's getting harder and harder to do this. And right around that time, uh, another distraction came along, um, uh, and I chose to focus on that because I couldn't make the leeway that I wanted. There was one guy in particular who I really wanted to be. He is someone who is very big in, in this uh, subculture, and, you know, you probably know who he is, and uh, I sent him an email, and I forgot what the response was, it was very nice, but I sent him an email, and it just was like, that just deflated me, I was like, what, I mean, what's the, what's the point, man, and, and I just hit brick walls, I was like, all right, so I walked away, and that's what you do sometimes, um, typically you don't want to do it for years, but sometimes you, you start working on a project that doesn't work out, or you can't push any harder, and you got to walk away, and so I walked away, I did, I did other things, uh, and then, in 2016, the unthinkable happened. Uh, and you all know what that unthinkable thing is. Um, hell froze over. Uh, you know, I've written about this. I've talked about it. I've screamed it from the rooftops. I'm going to tell you here right now. In my opinion, there is no greater reunion that has ever taken place in the history of all of rock and roll 
There's no, I mean, the fact that this, this thing, this feud, this, this, uh, and, and that's another thing worth mentioning. This project is only dealing with 1977 to 1983 and the phenomena of the misfits. I am not interested in, there's no, there, there's no going to be no discussion of Michael Graves or, uh, no, no disrespect against Michael. He's in this documentary, as a matter of fact. No disrespect against Michael. Uh, I like those two albums. Uh, but this is not about that time. It, the story gets too convoluted. It gets too confusing. Um, and it's not about that, man. That was a different thing. This is about the Misfits, man. Uh, the original band from 1977 to 1983. And that's it. Um, and so they, yeah, the unthinkable happened. This, this feud, this deep, huge fissure in the ground that could never be mended somehow got mended. These fucking guys came together. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they reunited and, uh, and we were all blown the fuck away. And I was like, and this was right around the time that Manny Martinez, the original drummer who I had tried to, I had no, I had heard whereabouts of him. I had heard that he had a tape. Here's where it gets interesting, folks. I had heard that he had a tape. I heard that there was a tape of of material, uh, of, and apparently it was way more than just a tape, but at the time, there was a tape uh, that was practically unlistenable, uh, that was in Manny's possession. Um, Manny had brought it to a member of the band, who I'm not going to name, because this is secondhand information, who listened to it and thought it was kind of unlistenable. Uh, and so he just sort of was like, he just sort of had this 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 tape that, Everybody in the year 2017, it just broke in our little misfits community that there was this this new discovery, this new relic, uh, uh, and and nobody nobody knows how crazy this tape is. It is a crazy fucking tape, uh, and so um, it was right around that time that Manny just suddenly is on YouTube and he's doing this. He's doing interviews from his residence where he stays. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, this guy, like, this is a guy who I've like, I've seen, you know, you've seen two pictures of Manny. You just don't know anything about him. You know, if you're a misfits nerd like I am, it's like, this is like a, a, a big piece to the puzzle from a historical standpoint. There's a lot of history. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of historical significance for a guy. Well, I mean, they all have their place in history and the, the history of this band, but you know, this is like the, this is the beginning. This is the origin story. Uh, and possibly, and again, no disrespect to Uncle Jerry and Uncle Glenn. They are not really my uncles. I just call them Uncle Jerry and Uncle Glenn because I think it's funny. Um, no disrespect to Uncle Jerry and Uncle Glenn or the thing that they built. But, you know, and, and I would say Glenn a little bit less than Jerry. It just, you know, they tell the same sort of, uh, uh, they hit the same key points over and over again about the story and, uh, there's a lot of that nuance is uh, sort of uh, cut away from the story, from the beginning, and or from just in general when they talk about that band. And so it's interesting to hear from the bit players who really have, you know, just a footnote in history because they remember details that Glenn and Jerry d didn't even know were there. You know what I mean? And that's what's so interesting. And recently Glenn has gotten a lot cooler about talking about the history. And it's really cool to hear him talk about it before before he started getting cool about it, there was only one guy in the world, pretty much, who got to hear the, f the full story or most of the story from Glenn um, in, in any sort of public record. Uh, 
And once again, for you Misfits nerds and from that community, shout out to my Misfits Central guys uh, in the forum. Uh, there's a lot of guys in there. Oh, my God, I'm going to try and name some of these handles. There was, fuck, who is that moderate? Okay, there's, everybody knows Ramey Stein. He's not on Facebook. What's up, Ramey? Um, there was Mike Hideous. No, Mike, Michael Graves, a.k.a. the world-famous... Sam Scamacy, go check out his music. From the ashes of Scamacy comes Sam Scamacy. Sam, when are you going to put out more music, man? I'm waiting. Like, come on. Um, there were <laughs> there were misfits. Uh, there were misfits uh, board. There were misfits board forum compilations. Like, uh, a, you can't have another cheeseburger. And uh, how big is your paperclip? Uh, Kelly Carcinogen. Uh, he was another guy from, from way back when. Uh, Kenny? There's a guy, Kenny. Who was the moderator guy with the clown uh, avatar? Whatever. In any case, the point was, there was this whole dedicated website called Misfit Central that we all know. Every single source of Misfits information, every single article that's ever been fucking written about the Misfits, everything that we know about this band, how this band has such a history that it does, comes from this one place, this one source Misfit Central. Yes, there's 138.com, or there was 138.com. There was another one. And yes, there was TVCasualty.com with the Steve Zing action figure. Really cool uh, homemade action figure. Uh, that dude was awesome. He had some cool pictures. But Misfit Central is the main one. I mean, never has anything been so thorough. Misfit Central was originally um, an email list. And before that, in, in the 90s, it was like this email chain server thing. Uh, and, and later after that, it was going to be a book. That's right. Mis Misfit Central was going to be the Misfits book. And it's all the brainchilds. You know, I'm sure there are other people that were involved. There are a lot of early uh, board members like Elizabeth. And you've, you've all heard of Jonathan Grimm, uh, a.k.a. Jim the Tank Dorsey, uh, a.k.a. Oh, God, the humongous, like, th th so many, so many other people. Um, but the main guy behind this website is, uh, fuck, Mark Kennedy. Everybody has heard that name if you're deep in, steeped in, in Mr. Central lore. Up to this point, only Mark Kennedy has done, had done an interview with Glenn Danzig. That's right, folks. Mark Kennedy sat down with Glenn around the year 1999-2000 when he was trying to get this book done, and he... And Glenn set the record straight for him with as many details as Mark could write down, as I recall. And then Mark put that all up on Misfit Central. And that's how we know about uh, Diane DiPiazza. That's how we know the name Jimmy Battle. That's how we know the name, uh, just all these little bit players, uh, all that stuff, that timeline, the timeline that everybody refers to. All of that comes from that, that moment, that interview, pretty much. Um, it's just like, the, and it's the basis for all of my work, you know, and this project in a way is kind of dedicated to Mark Kennedy and the work that he started and that I tried to continue for years, uh, and then stopped and then, uh, have started again. In any case, you're not really hearing, you're not really hearing the full, uh, just not getting all the good details from Glenn Jerry. Let's leave it at that. Good details. Um, so to hear that Manny suddenly, to, to bring it all back around, to hear that Manny is suddenly 
found an internet presence and makes a Facebook uh, blew my fucking mind. And so I reached out to him and we uh, started talking and um, eventually I convinced him to let me. And it's funny, we had our first conversation on the phone the very night that I saw the Misfits play live in Chicago, the true Misfits play for the first time in my life. And it was like a sign from the heavens that I needed to pick this project back up because I'm about to see this band and the first drummer calls me on my phone, returns my phone call. And I'm like, whoa, Manny Martinez, this is crazy. And so I'm talking to Manny and we're, we're working out plans. Uh, this was fall of 2016, we're working out plans to meet up. And that meeting did not happen until February 23rd, 2017, when a friend and I uh, drove out to meet Manny um, where he lives and uh, hang out with him. And we hung out over pizza and talked and talked. And I interviewed him for, you know, I'm saying now it's an hour. I think it's a little bit more than an hour is how long I interviewed him. Um, and, you know, I made a huge mistake. I interviewed him first and I really wish I had interviewed him second. And, you know, sometimes you just do things with, not without, yeah, kind of without thinking or or in a rush because, you know, you think your opportunity is going to dry up in two seconds. You don't, you can't think about how to properly put it together. And it's only in hindsight that I realized that I wish I had interviewed Manny second after what he, he showed me because over the phone and online a little bit, he started to talk about that tape again. And it was right around that time that not only was there one tape, there was apparently another tape. And I guess, uh, that other tape, uh, had a song or there was made reference to a song that we've only heard in, in, you know, like in passing, um, called the marble index and the lyric, something about, uh, spring index, wiping your mind with index for the marble in spraying your mind with windex to what wiping your mind with windex for the marble index, something like that. I don't know. This blew my mind. And I don't know if that's a misfit song or if that's a proto-misfit song from one of Glenn's pre-misfits projects, like Pony, which you've heard of now, Prostitutes of New York. But see, nine years ago, I was talking to Rick Riley from The Victims, and he was like, I didn't know. Oh, he mentioned Pony, and then he talked about the scuba, scuba suits. They performed in scuba suits and stuff. And so maybe Marble Index is actually from that band. I don't know. Uh, again... Everything I'm about to say now, everything I'm about to talk about, everything that I've been talking about is just from either my experience or from what people have told me. Again, I am no fucking expert on this shit. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just a fucking enthusiastic fan slash filmmaker who's trying to turn all these things that I've learned about into something more, into like, you know, uh, a story. And so... So we go to meet Manny, we sit, we do this interview, I do an interview, uh, gives me some great stuff on tape. He tells me about how the band formed from his perspective. He tells me why he left the band. Um, he tells me about CBGBs and he just tells me about a, a few, just a bunch of stuff. Um, tells me about kind of how they put songs together, as I recall. Again, I haven't listened to this interview in two years and that's part of the big problem with you know, as you saw, I was transferring a bunch of material to, uh, to uh, one terabyte. Uh, I did a screenshot of it. Let me explain what that is. So that is hundreds of hours of interviews that I've conducted 
that I'm putting on my main work drive because being quarantined, sequestered, whatever you want to call it, having to stay in my house, I figured, man, it's time to hop back on the horse and put a dent into this project. However, um, there's a huge problem. And the problem is uh, the original project is in a very old version of Final Cut Pro that I no longer have access to. And while I know, know what's on some of those interviews, I basically have to go back and start from scratch, which fucking sucks. But it's also good because the thing to remember, the th as I said before, I had started and stopped on this project so many fucking times. Um, I, 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 all, my expectations of what this project is going to be have changed so many fucking times. Like, you don't even understand how many times I've, like, reconceived what this could be. And at first it was going to be the absolute, complete, you know, uh, uh, be-all, end-all documentary about this band. And then slowly my I had to temper my expectations based on what, who I could and could not get, um, the materials that I will have access to, and... You know, uh, the stuff that I would legally or not legally be able to use. There's a lot of legal shit that I, frankly, don't know how to navigate at this current time and juncture that I'm slowly working through and, you know, been trying and trying and trying to think of ways on how to properly tell the story with uh, uh, the resources that I have. Um, Jesus, I went on a thread and I went down a pot, pothole and I can't remember where the fuck I was going with that. Tangent. I was talking about, oh, the project has changed. And so what you saw transferring hundreds of, uh, of hours of interviews, I have to re-listen to these interviews. Uh, I do always do it on uh, double speed, so that way it's not like listening to at, like one-to-one -one ratio hour for an hour. Um, but I, So I speed listen to the stuff, and I have to pull selects, and I have to start the project over. But it's good, because the idea and vision that I have now is very different from when I started. And it's better to start from the ground up in that way. And so that's part of what this Facebook Live video is about. It's like, I'm just going, hey, uh, for anybody who gives a shit, if, if anybody gives a shit, uh, I got this thing, trying to do it again, starting from a different place. And we're down here. And I thought, you know, uh, how cool would it be to... Uh, the, the point with that other thing was about the terabyte, about the interviews, is that I don't remember... I have to re-listen to those interviews. It's, fuck, there's so much shit I've forgotten about. There's so many cool stories and tidbits and things that I've collected and documented. You know, uh, I spoke to Rocky, who is um, uh, Jerry and Doyle's brother, and he told me some really cool stories. You know, and there's just, like, so much stuff that I have just forgotten over the years. You know what I mean? And uh, I just need to, to, to go back and, and re-listen to, to those um, uh, tapes and things. Um, so, okay. So after I interviewed Manny, he played for me a tape that blew my fucking hair back, that blew my mind. Going back to the reason why I brought up all that Misfit Central talk. Remember I was talking about Misfit Central and how Mark Kennedy sat down with Glenn Danzig and, and Glenn told him a bunch of shit like this this one time. You know, that's how we also learned about some, some other things. Uh, we learned uh, about some songs that... Um, that that there's no recording of that that just don't exist like except for the song titles. Uh, Mark had um, had heard from Glenn that there were these three early songs. Um, the first one's called West End Avenue. 
The second one is called Harpies in the Night. And the third one is called Feline Nursery. Now, Feline Nursery, um, we have kind of heard because Feline Nursery is actually uh, something called uh, 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 fucking Spinal Remains. So if you've listened to Spinal Remains on, on the Static Age, you are hearing Feline Nursery. The song was originally called Feline Nursery. And in um, Mark Kennedy's, um, Mark Kennedy does make mention in his, in his notes. And again, this could have come from Jerry and not from Glenn, but I believe it came from Glenn, um, that, that he knew that the original, the original uh, uh, lyric, the, the song starts, as I would later find out for myself, the song starts with, I'm going to throw away the key to the feline nursery. And then it kind of goes into Spinal Remains. The lyrics are slightly different, though. Um, and so, for years, right? Like, 20 fucking years, maybe. Maybe 20 years. Again, not, don't quote me on this. Again, not a fucking expert, just a dude who fucking loves this shit. So, for 20 years, us Misfits nerds on Misfits Central fucking sat and talked and, you know, waxed and, you know, I don't think, I, I wasn't there for 20 years, but I was there for a long ass time. I'm not going to tell you what my handle was. Some of you might know. Um, uh, waxed poetically about, like, what the fuck is Harpies in the Night? What the fuck is uh, West End Avenue? What are these songs, man? Like, what are these songs? Like, you know, we'll never know. You know, the closest thing that we knew was um, what we had heard uh, on the original Cough Cool She 7-inch. Okay, again, warning, about to get really fucking nerdy right now. Um, that's the only snapshot. It's amazing that so early in that band's existence that they had the fucking insight, foresight, to record a 7-inch. Like, they hadn't even been together for a year. And they took, and that just shows... I mean, really does, it's a testament to Glenn and his material and his tenacity and, you know, uh, them going, all right, we're going to record. Because you know what? That's like what kept them going. You know, they died. And as I, this I remember from my interviews. They fucking died. That band died. But those fucking seven inches lived on. And those seven inches turned into tape cassettes in the late 80s that got traded around. You get a 10th generation tape and it's got like the gnarly fucking hiss on it. It's like, yo, listen to this shit, man. It's like, hey, man, what's that skull on your shirt? Oh, let me give you this tape to borrow or to dub. And you hear it be like, holy shit, this is the fucking misfits. All of that shit, you know, that shit endured because they recorded so much. So here's this this single, this, this, this um, uh, what's it called? Like a, a timestamp, a, a bubble of what that band was at that time. Uh, and that's the closest, because it, it, there are only three instruments on the first single. Glenn originally played piano. Uh, Jerry was on bass and Manny was on drums. There was no guitar. And so nearest as I could tell or anybody could tell, those early songs like Harpies in the Night and West End Avenue probably sounded something that was very close or a lot like fucking, you know, uh, what we heard on Cough Cool and She. And as I will later note in my notes that I'm going to read for you. So, another thing. I don't... I, I'm... What I'm about to uh, re report on, or I don't know what, like, talk about, um, is something from from three years ago. You know, I, I, I got to listen to this tape. Manny played the tape for me, the, the, of the live show. And I'll get into that, what that is in a minute. Manny played the fucking live show for me. Uh, and the first thing that I did, and I even did it while we were listening, I had a little piece of paper with me. 
I'm just jotting down as many fucking th thoughts in my mind as I'm trying to take in this fucking historic shit. I'm like trying to like just sort of like jot down anything I can remember, anything like so I could keep that memory. And I will tell you, you know, that sometimes when you know something is important enough, you, your brain, it's like your brain etches, etches it, that information deep into the grooves of your fucking mind. You know, you get those fucking wrinkles in your mind, you know, like whatever it is, those fucking wrinkles, it etches it deep. And I still, you know, I, I hum those, that what I remember as much as I can remember, uh, 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 over and over and over. Cause I never want to forget what I heard in that, in that fucking, you know, uh, 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 uh session with, with Manny. Uh, and so I'm sitting there scribbling, uh, just, just writing, fucking feverishly uh, writing after after I left Manny. I'm sitting there and I'm going through the whole set list and I'm just writing every fucking thing I can remember. And I'm so glad because, you know, in the process of writing it down, just in the way I asked those questions in all those interviews, I don't remember all the stories because they, they live on the tape. I don't have to remember them all. And it's the same thing here. So what I did was I looked at my notes that I have not looked at in almost three years and I tried my fucking best to expand on them and like sort of meditate on them and remember everything because I thought, and we'll see how this one goes. If you guys fucking hate this shit or you think I'm boring or full of hot air, I don't have to do it again. I won't, you know, um, I kind of was like, you know, afraid to do it this time. Um, but, uh, I was thinking maybe what we could do is, you know, I could check in on here and from time to time we could, you know, I could go over each, note as I have, and I've sort of expanded on it. I want to put it on my blog, uh, from us, um, from us, uh, dot com slash blag. It's a blag, not a blog. It's a blag, blog, blog, like blah. I'm putting that in the, uh, uh, comments right here. So getting back to this shit that we were just talking about. Uh, I was talking about, uh, this is hard by the way. It's not easy just like sort of riff on this shit, I, you know, I'm glad I have some stuff to read from because it's like, you know, it's hard to like, you know, sort of talk about and keep everything uh, uh, together and track. Um, so sometimes when you hear something so fucking important, you etch it into your fucking mind and you you jot down notes. And so what what Manny played for me was a fucking revelation. It was this just this this thing that like. I, I, I didn't, I couldn't believe that it exists. You know, when they say like, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, a million dollars, how do you know a million dollars really exists if you've never seen it? It's like, but you know it exists. It's like, you know this exists, but like, you can't possibly fathom. Because if you saw a million dollars in your life, you'd be like, holy fuck, that is a lot of money. Even though a million dollars is a footnote to a billion dollars. You'd still be like, holy fuck, this is so much money. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, it's like, you know it exists, you've heard that it exists, but you don't know if there's any record of it. And to see that it actually exists, it's just like, it's more than anything you could ever possibly imagine. Um, especially if it's something that you've been thinking about and anticipating and has captured your imagination for years and years and years. Something you thought you would never get, just in the way that we never thought we were going to get a fucking Misfits reunion, right? Um, so, uh, here's the, here, I'm going to start reading from this thing. Uh, this thing that I sort of uh, uh, brushed up on and, and, and wrote, and, and I'll talk about it. I'll pause from time to time to sort of talk about what I'm writing or what I wrote. Uh, 
and and provide a commentary, kind of like uh, you know the Torah. There's the Talmud. You know, the the Torah is the Torah is the Bible, and then the Talmud is like a commentary on the Bible, that sort of thing. Okay, so February twenty third, twenty seventeen. Introduction. Uh, by the way, some of the time is really weird. I should really collect uh, correct that the the timing. I say yesterday, and then I say today, and it's just because I had you know, written this out uh, over a few different days and sort of just talked about, like, presently where I was. Um, yesterday I met with Manny Martinez, the first drummer of the Misfits. After conducting an hour-long interview, it was not an hour long, it was longer than an hour, he played me a recording that he had made of the band at what I believe is their third show, third live show, at Eddie's Rock Palace in Teaneck, New Jersey, on October 9th, 1977. How do I know that? I know that because of Mark Kennedy and Misfit Central. Um, I don't know 1,000 million percent, but when I add everything up, based on what's on the recording, based on what Manny was saying, and based on uh, what is on Misfit Central, I am pretty sure that the, that tape I was talking about, what I listened to, the recording, is the third live Misfit show ever. That is the third time as a band, and not only that, it's a turning point for the band, which I'm going to read about now. It is a pivotal, pivotable, pivotal, I can't fucking talk. It is a monumental moment in that band's time uh, where they would turn, where they would uh, sort of uh, become this different thing. Ready? So, um, as mentioned, between songs, the band had already recorded and later released their first seven-inch single, Cough Cool She, earlier that year in June. I forget which song it is. Uh, I'm sure it's in the other notes that I have not looked at. I only looked at the notes for this particular song, as well as the intro. Um, uh, I have to go back and, and look and see what song that was. But uh, at the end of one of the songs, uh, I, I know it sounds weird because Glenn was, what, like 23 at the time? But I guess still, it was like a baby-voiced Glenn. Like, Glenn just doesn't sound like, you know, you know how Glenn's voice is very raspy today, and, and even in... You know, the early 90s, he just had a deeper register, and even in the Misfits, he had a deep... Like, this just sounds, like, very different. I don't know what it, what it is. It sounds like a guy who's just starting out. Uh, and so... Fuck, where was I? They placed twice before at CB... Oh, he says on the tape, he goes... He goes, yeah. Oh, you know what it was? Oh, fuck, obviously. It was on either Cough, Cool, or She, because they played both of those songs live. Uh, and he goes... That's on our latest single, uh, Cough Cool, She, you can pick it up, blah, 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 blah. So they'd already recorded that song, right? Which means that this show had to be after June of 77, assuming that that is, in fact, the studio session. And, you know, from Misfit Central, I believe it to be true. I know that there, on Facebook, there is a lot of, like, there are a lot of Facebook groups, really cool ones, by the way. You should check them out, seek them out. Facebook themed collector groups where people are sort of not... They're building upon and, and sort of updating and correcting a lot of the misinformation on Misfits Central because there's a ton. It's not, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, mostly around record pressing stuff, uh, which also comes from uh, uh, Mark Kennedy as well as uh, Glenn in the Pusshead interview from 1986, the most epic, probably in-depth, detailed interview Glenn Danzig has ever given in his life. Uh, maybe someday he'll give something more in depth, but I don't think it's ever going, nothing's ever going to stand out like that three hour session. And it's amazing that that tape leaked and it's great. You know, I'm sure that that was a great source from Mark Kennedy as well when coming up with his timeline. 
Uh, so yeah, so so if that was in June, that means that this that 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 and they had already had it out and they had it at the show. That means that this and they could have played more shows in between October 9th and June of '77, but I don't think so because, um, as I know from all my interviews, the band just per- played very spor- sporadically. They started to play more and started to tour late in the later years. You know, really when the classic lineup, as as I'll later talk about, you know, you have that classic lineup which is. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the trifecta, the, the holy trinity of Glenn, Jerry, and Doyle, and whichever drummer it was at the time. That's like the classic lineup. And those guys toured more. But before that, the band sporadically, sporadically played. So I truly believe that this could have been their third performance. Anyway, they had played twice before at CBGB's in April and June. The only time that they would play together uh, there as the Misfits Um these CBGB, these CBGB dates, uh, two of them, the first show and the second show, uh, were talent showcases. So what Hilly used to do um, back then, you know, when Hilly started, Hilly, when Hilly started, you know, he, he would just have any band playing original music come. But, you know, eventually the punk rock movement is now happening. This is 1977. So now Hilly's holding uh, these showcases for up and coming bands that are unknown to, to play. You know, to play play their material. Um, according to Manny, one of the reasons that they never returned, and Glenn is, has has also said in another interview, and I'm not saying this is not true. I'm sure it, it's true to some level, but this is just my opinion. I believe at that time they didn't give a shit whether they were going to get paid or not. Glenn spoke in a Rolling Stone interview, going, "Oh yeah, fuck Hilly, never paid bands or something." But it was like, dude, it was their first two gigs, man. Like, you know, th- th- it, was a, it was a talent showcase. Like, they probably knew they weren't getting paid. They probably just wanted to get up on stage. What Manny has said, and this is where I'm saying, this is the, this is the differentiation. I'm not saying one is correct and one is not. It just, it, just, it just paints the it paints the history differently. It allows you to, like, and that's true with any history. It allows you to see another perspective on things. And Manny said they, were, they went on last, you know. It was their first and second show. Um, they never returned because they went on dead last both times, way after midnight, to a mostly empty club. Um, meanwhile, when I spoke to Sal B, which is how I met Sal B, by the way. Some of you know that I used to do rock and roll cooking with Sal B, and we met because of this documentary. I was interviewing Sal, um, and he told me about his idea for wanting to do rock and roll cooking. And I was like, let's do that, and that's how we became friends. And Love you, Sal. Um, but he talked also about being at that first show at CBGB's. I don't remember what the fuck he said. I'd have to look at the tape. Um, but there were not many people outside of guess their friends, and they were annoyed that they would go and that they went out to, to New York City. You know, they've got to travel from Lodi to New York. It's not that far. It's like what twenty five minutes through the tunnel. But um, you know, they'd haul their, their gear out there, and then they would go on dead last, and there would be nobody there. They just didn't. So they they stopped playing, and then. Uh, you know, amidst, um, uh, you know, amidst rehearsal and things, they went in and recorded uh, uh, the seven inch uh, cough cool with she. Um, and you'd have to think, I would imagine that those first two shows, I believe Mark Kennedy notes this in his lineup in the lineups, which is another historically renowned document that anybody from Misfits Central goes on and on and on about because this, we just fucking obsess over this band and their lineups. And if a guy played one fucking show with the band. He was in the band. He was the, this this numbered guitarist, you know, um, uh, that they must have only played. Those two CBGB shows were played with uh, piano, bass, and drums, I believe, I think. 
Um, uh, okay, next. Uh, from a historical standpoint, going back to the uh, Eddie's uh, Palace, Eddie's Rock Palace uh, show. It's called Eddie's Rock Palace, I believe it's Eddie's Rock Palace. Uh, a venue that I'd always have heard because I read that thing. Yeah, Eddie's Rock Palace uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, from a historical standpoint, I believe this fall show at Eddie's Rock Palace in 1977 was particularly important to the evolution of their sound. After listening, after listening to the fucking tape, as it seems to line up with Misfit Central's note of being Frank Licata, a.k.a. Sorry, Frank, if I butchered your last name. Frank Licata, a.k.a. Franche Coma's first show with the band. Um, at some point, uh, well, before I get there, so, you know, uh, always on in this timeline on Misfit Central, there's this, I know this is like such fucking minutia. It's like so fucking stupid, but like whatever, man. Like this is just what we, this is what I fucking like. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. Um, at this point, uh, there was this one show where, you know, where, when, 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 when Frank first came into the band, very, very uh, well known that he played only half of the songs on the first, according to Misfit Central, he only played half the songs uh, uh, in the set. Uh, he came in. So the first set, the first half was piano. The second half was guitar. That always bugged me. I always wondered, why was that? Why did they do that? I mean, I guess maybe it's kind of obvious now or, you know, it might be obvious to, to all of you. But to me, it was not obvious. Uh, uh, the At some point, and this is, again, conjecture for me. I don't know this to be true. I've never spoken to Glenn Danzig about this shit. Um, I mean, suppose maybe Jerry would know, too. Uh, at some point... The band had decided to change direction from a piano-driven art rock to focus instead on laying down a bed of fast Ramones brand three-chord buzz song for melodic crooning baritone vocals to weave in and out. And that's really the, the, the springboard that this show kind of launches. Because before that, that's what it is, man. It's piano-driven art rock. That's the best way to describe who the Misfits were. You know, uh, when they were recording this Cough Cool She single, they were still very much like counterculture punk. I'm sure they would fit in, you know, they fit in with the talking heads or especially Suicide. Suicide was just a dude singing and a dude singing and playing, you know, keyboards and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they fit in that paradigm. They're just not in the Ramones punk rock uh, and what they would later evolve to paradigm that we know that band for. The, that, that's what that band's signature, you know, reputation is, you know. Um... And then, you know, I had heard from another one of my interviews that a band, this was just a note. Again, I don't know if this is fucking true. Uh, one guy who I interviewed said that um, one of the, I always hear so many different fucking influences for who the, you know, Glenn will famously say, I'm supremely influenced by Black Sabbath and Elvis and, you know, doo-wop. And he talks about all sorts of shit that he's influenced. And if you listen to Skeletons, he's influenced by some of those those bands, too, you know, the bands that are on there. But, you know, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed. Um, but I, one thing that slips through the cracks is the doors, man. People, like, say the doors, but listening to the music, you really fucking hear the doors. And, um, uh, sorry, I lost my, right, right, right. They, they, they switched over to, I mean, because that's what it is. The, the, the instrumentation of Misfit songs is, just fucking, it's wonderful. It's fast, simple, Ramones-esque. It's not exactly the Ramones. It's Ramones-esque 
three chord buzz sawing. And on top of it, the secret weapon, the thing that makes, that we all love, the, the main instrument is melodic crooning baritone vocals that sort of surf on this, you know, ferocious, aggressive punk rock. Um, now that voice is still very present. It's the star of the art, you know, art piano, what did I call it? Uh, piano driven art rock that they were before that. Um, but, but, but a change, a change for whatever reason, whatever was decided. Um, I think that there was a great, I think they must've seen the Ramones, you know, the damned, you know, all the, the, I mean, this was the 1977 punk explosion and they, they did a fucking pivot, you know, somewhere later in, in, in the year of punk, which is 1977, where they're going to change things and add guitar. Uh, I'm, this is what I said next. This show must have been some sort of test or experimental transition because Frank comes in halfway through the set to play guitar on a few tracks before the band returns to piano-driven material. To my untrained musical ear, it was hard for me to tell if guitar remained later on in the set after the song's Angel Fucking Last Caress. So... This early in the band, they were playing Angel Fucking Last Caress, or they had just added Angel Fucking Last Caress. As a matter of fact, because Frank came on and played guitar, I think that Angel Fucking Last Caress were brand new fucking songs that had just been written at that time. Uh, and that there are, there's this set, and some of them are fucking lost, except for this recording. There's this set of much older songs that are piano-based. Um... And what I'm, what racks my mind to this day, and I wish, I wish I could fucking like, like clear it with myself or whoever. Uh, and I wish I had asked fucking uh, Manny. And I didn't think to ask him at the time. I was so stupid. Why didn't I fucking ask him this? Um, I could not tell. I think Frank came in, played on those songs, and then left again. And so the songs that they played after were, again, piano. And one of those songs, I know this is, this is going to blow your minds. This blew my fucking mind. This is going to blow anybody's mind who cares as much as I do. Uh, one of those songs was Hybrid Moments. That's right. I'm not positive. Don't fucking quote me on this. But I don't remember hearing any guitar on... And if there was, you know, a great example, like... The guitar in Spinal Remains is very simple. I believe it's like one note. I'm not, I don't play any instruments, guys. I don't know. Someone correct me if I'm fucking wrong. Um, it's a very simple riff. And the same thing really with Theme for a Jackal. Um, probably because they were actually piano songs uh, that got converted to guitar songs. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's very, it, it's very, very... Do they introduce Frank at all or do they not mention... No. No. Um, hi, Tanner. How are you? Um, no, they do not mention Frank at all. They do not... They didn't mention Frank at all. They, I don't think any, no one was introduced, okay? Which is why it wasn't a big deal, and this is why it was an, a transitional show, and this is why it was, like, an experiment, because nobody gets, nobody gets fucking introduced. It's just, um, and that's why it didn't matter that he came in to play two songs. That's why it was, like, an experimental show, in my opinion, an experimental transition, because... You know, they were like, okay, we're going to try out the new material, or at least this is what I'm thinking. They're going to try out the new material. Uh, hey, Frank, come on up. Play, you know, play the songs that we just went over in practice, you know, and then we're going to go back to what we, what's in our set. 
uh, there's no 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 importance on anybody in the band to like you know introduce or not introduce because uh, this band is like fucking like still hot magma like slowly forming you know um, so he plays piano drip hold on. This show must have been some sort of test or experimental transition because Frank comes halfway through the set to play guitar on a few tracks before the band returns to piano-driven material. To my untrained musical ear, it was hard for me to tell. So like I said, fucking hybrid moments, man. You're fucking playing hybrid moments without a guitar. And the thing is, and I believe... I believe that when they did Static Age, they tracked everything live. But I don't know if they tracked Glenn's vocals live. And, you know, whenever you hear hybrid moments covered, oh, I really should save this for hybrid, oh, whatever, I'll just fucking, I'll probably rehash that at some point anyway. Whenever you hear hybrid's moments, whenever you hear hybrid's moment, hybrid moments live, Whoever is covering the song can't sing it correctly. Nobody sings misfit songs like Glenn Danzig. He's the only guy who can sing these songs. That's why when Glenn fucking came back out, and, you know, people have just fucking shitted on Glenn's voice for years and years and years. You know, oh, he's fucking dried up. Oh, he's washed up. And you want to know something? Then this motherfucker comes out. And, you know, maybe some of those shows he, he was, like, not as, you know, uh, consistent with his uh, vocal performance. But he comes out and... And he ha he sings, well, we know, because he would do Danzig and Doyle, too. He comes out, and he just fucking belts out these fucking songs like it was yesterday. Like, 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 sorry, like 1983 was yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just fucking, he, his, whatever damage has, has happened to his vocal cords has not affected whatever level he needs to sing those songs. And he can sing them. And so I'm listening to Hybrid Moments, and the, the thought that I remember, I remember this very distinctly, was... The vocal arrangement is super... No, I don't think so, man. Tanner, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think he was introducing him. Not, or at least not in this recording. But um, Glenn does not sing hybrid moments the way he sings it on, uh, on Static Age. And the, my theory, again, perhaps someone who's more of a recording expert than me, I'm not really an expert, could... Uh, you know, Frank, I, I might have, you know, I interviewed your dad like nine years ago, and I want to interview him again. I want to follow up. I hope he's well. Please say hello to him for me, because um, I have not spoken to him in years. Actually, that's not true. I texted with him after I spoke to Manny. I started texting with your dad again, and then uh, he, I think he had a, there was, it was some wedding, and he was not, he had, whatever. I, I don't want to get into his stuff, but. Um, uh, yeah, no, I don't remember. I don't think I did ask your dad and I really fucking need to. Um, I don't know if he would remember that. Frank has this amazing, Frank Sr. has an amazing, uh, 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 memory about the original arrangement of Who Killed Marilyn, where, uh, they're going higher in register. The original Who Killed Marilyn goes, it ain't a mystery, it ain't a mystery, it ain't a mystery, something like that. Um, but hold on, getting back to hybrid moments. I, I'm getting sidetracked. Hybrid moments. So, yeah, he's totally fucking... I could ask Mr. Jim. Maybe Mr. Jim would remember. I One thing I do know about Static Age, I from... I don't Again, don't remember where I heard this, people. Take this with a grain of salt. Glenn did all of his vocals sitting down in a chair. He specifically insisted on sitting down. I don't know why. I don't remember where I heard that, but just that he did them sitting down. I don't think he tracked them live with the band. Maybe he did Scratch with the band live, but I think he did his vocals. And so 
when you hear Static Age on the recording of Static Age, which I would play here, but I don't want to get like in Facebook trouble where I get reported for playing copy wrote writ wrote writ wrote music. Um, uh, the, I mean, just when you try to sing, anybody, all of us who have tried to sing hybrid moments in our fucking car, like, <laughs> you know, you can't fucking do it, man. It's like you can't get it just right. You, you, you lose your breath. You, you have to, like, truncate it. Because maybe Glenn, when he was doing that, because the song is so demanding, as I would hear in this live show uh, where he would sing it differently, when he went into the studio, he... He uh, changed the way, maybe he changed the way, um, uh, he, he, or, or maybe he sung it as he always intended it at, in his head, where he could, because, you know, you could punch in with tape. You can't handle something, you run out of breath when you're singing. I mean, anybody knows this, even if you're not in, in, in a fucking recording artist. You know, you run out of breath when you're singing, you could just rewind the tape and then punch in at the precise moment that you need to, to hit that note in the right register in the right way. And so I wonder if Static Age, for the most part, is uh, recorded in that way. And that's why when people try to do some of those songs, they fucking can't. They can't fucking sing them. Nobody can sing them like Glenn, man. And early on, before they recorded Static Age, him singing hybrid moments with his piano, he kind of, his, his vocal arrangement is slightly different. It's almost as if he's singing it a different way because he knows he could not sing it the way he would intend to sing it on Static Age Live. Um, that was a huge sidetrack from a song that I wanted to talk to you about today, which is West End Avenue. Um, the next piece of writing, I'm just gonna, like I said, I'm going off on these long fucking tangents. This is, by the way, this is going way longer than I intended it to, but I just have so much to say that I can't stop. So I'm just going to keep going, but I'm going to save some because I'd like to do this again and it would be fun to, you know, do this again. Okay. Um. Uh, plus, I'm doing the introduction to this whole thing. I probably won't do the introduction in, in the future. Um, with Frank in the band, the guitar became the main driving component of the instrumentals. Uh, as a result, it seems the piano-centric songs that didn't translate strongly enough to fit with this new punkier version of the band were tossed aside, left to die. Uh, in my opinion, again... And I keep saying this over and over again because I just know there's those fucking, you know, uh, trollish fans who are like, fuck, you're not fucking Glenn Danzig. How the fuck do you know? I don't, man. I really don't. And I'm not fucking Yuri Vaughn and I'm not any of the fucking insider guys. I don't. This is just based on, on my research and the things that I've studied. I've spoken to a lot of people, but that's it. You know? I'm not making assumptions here. I'm just making theories based on what I, the, the information that's been given to me. Um... In my opinion, this is why she and Theme for a Jackal are on Static Age, while Cough, Cough Cool is not. Um, and also, yeah, why Cough Cool is not. Uh, and, you know, eventually they would redo Cough Cool uh, way after the Misfits broke up. Uh, you know, two funny notes. Oh, man, I, don't, I should save this for another time. We'll talk about this another time, but I'm going to say this one thing. Two fun, uh, a note. Uh, in the late 80s, and my chronological, my memory with this stuff is a little rusty. There were, there was going to be a Walk Among Us 2 as like a reissue or as like a retrospective. There was going to be all these different things that Glenn wanted to put out, used to put out original Misfits material with Caroline Records when he first gave over the catalog. But one thing that he and Irivan did was they redid about, they redid like six songs, right? 
I think it was five or six songs. I don't know. Tanner, correct me. It was a bunch of songs um, that they that they redid for what eventually would become Misfits Collection 2. But they also uh, recorded a song that had never, that had been practiced by the Misfits, but never fucking recorded or played live. And that was Mephisto Waltz. So that begs the question, that begs this question, which I would love to explore with you guys on another day. If Mephisto Waltz is a Misfits song, then does that make Erie Vaughn a Misfits drummer? Um, does that make Mephisto Waltz also a Sam Hain track? Because the two guys from Sam Hain recorded the fucking song? Like, what is Mephisto Waltz? It is a crazy thing to comprehend. But again, let's not talk about that now. Nobody comment on that. Let's, that that's for another day. That always, like, runs me around, though. Um, but one of those songs that they re-recorded was Cough Cool. Uh, and I believe it has guitar uh, on it. Maybe not. Yeah. Does it have guitar? Who knows? Someone answer that. Uh, Cough Cool on, on Collection 2 does have guitar. And they sort of redid it. But at the time, when the band was transitioning in 1977, 78, it's like some songs got the jettison for the Static Age, right? You know? Uh, so she which has guitar uh, and sounds very, you know, it sounds like good with guitar. It's like, you know, um, fucking, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it, it works well with guitar. And Theme for a Jackal is interesting because you can really, Theme for a Jackal is like a fossil man because like you can hear like, whoa, this is when this band, this is, must have been a very early song for this band because... You know, it's got piano on it. I don't think any other songs on Static H have piano. And uh, and it's just like, why did Glenn decide to include Theme for a Jackal? And why did he convert... Well, we know why he con partially why he converted uh, Feline uh, Nursery into Static Age. And that had to do also with a, partially with a technical accident with the tape. And somebody bumped a console and something happened with the, the track. And Glenn, in the studio, decided to change it from Feline... Whatever. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but Cough Cool is not included on, on, on uh, Static Age. So they recorded this whole batch of songs for Static Age, and they just neglected Cough Cool, but they include, they decided to record She and, uh, you know, uh, In the Doorway, which is another really early uh, song, as uh, I would especially learn very recently, thanks to uh, Aaron... Krieger, is that how you spell your last name? Shout out to Aaron for that information. Uh, I am I am a student as much as I may seem like I'm lecturing here, which I'm really not intending to do at all. Um, seems the piano-centric songs didn't translate strongly enough to fit with this new punkier version of the band, and they were tossed aside, left to die. In my opinion, this is why she and Theme for a Jackal are on Static Age, while Cough Cool is not. According to Manny. All right, here's the big... The big dump. According to Manny, and some of you probably already know this, uh, a third studio track from the Cough Cool session was recorded, but shelved. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, now, Glenn, when Glenn turned over the Caroline tapes, the tapes to Carolina, the masters, uh, and you've heard the whole story from Misfit Central about how they had to... All right, super quick. They had to... Uh, between a, a certain number of years, from the late 60s to the early 80s, maybe, or, or, or 70s, um, magnetic tape that you used for studio recording 
was was manufactured in a different way, different chemical process, different manufacturing process, and it was not stable the way the older shit was. Uh, so when Caroline got the tapes, and again, I'm not, no one, I, this is what I've read from Misfit Central. Everybody fucking knows. This is not new information. This is no revelation. Um, but it's important to what I'm about to say. Um, when, and I know this from Tom Begowitz, a.k.a. Tom B., uh, who just put out uh, the book with uh, Umberto, uh, Scream With Me. Um, he, I, in my interview with him, because I interviewed him for like two hours, uh, he told me first his, from firsthand the whole story about, the, about the, the, the fiasco of trying to save these tapes. They had to digitize them, but in order to digitize them, they were very brittle tapes. Uh, so there's like this thing you can do with the tapes. You can put them in the oven and bake them at a certain temperature and baking them at a certain temperature will allow the tapes. I'm totally like ruined. Like this is all material that I had for my documentary. I'm just like telling this. All right. Had, there was a, there was a, 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 if you, if you, if you bake it at a certain temperature, then the tapes will hold together long enough to run them through the machine one more time in order to digitize them because, and this is as Tom told me, and it like my jaw hit the ground, the tapes are running through the fucking machine, getting digitized, and as they pass through the tape heads, they are disintegrating. So the tape head fucking records this shit, right? The tape head records the fucking, whatever, the, the analog signal, and then disappears. It's vaporizing. They're literally saving these things. And I don't remember, I think Glenn might have lost, I think Glenn might have lost, uh, or he never had, he never gave them the cough cool sheet tape, which had the, has the mystery third song on it probably. But, but perhaps the reason why is because when he went to go dig through that tape, I've heard various stories about the state of, of, of how Glenn has kept things from time to time. Uh, but one thing that I, I uh, uh, heard, or what one thing I believe or is possible or actually lines up with something else, which I'm not going to say on air at all because it's such terrible conjecture and I don't want to say it, but um, uh, th they, they never got the cough cool uh, tape. Tom, Tom never got the cough cool tape. It was, went missing and it went missing for a few different reasons, possibly, maybe, who knows. Uh, but one of those reasons could very well be that the tape disintegrated or was in such poor state that Glenn, maybe Glenn didn't want to share it with, with Caroline because it just destroyed it and just said it was gone. Who knows? I don't know that. I don't know that for a fact. But the other tapes were in such a poor condition that they had to do this special galvanizing process just to digitize them. And they were destroyed. So the masters to many Misfit sessions, maybe not all of them, but the masters to many of the Misfit sessions do not fucking, maybe like runoff tapes, like tapes like you make, you, you, you finish mixing a section and you do session and you do a mix down tape of like rough mixes. Those things might still exist. I know that a lot of like the inner circle right after the Static Age songs were done, lots of tapes were circulated. Um, and people I spoke to had the, had the Static Age material on tapes way before any of it came out, except for the stuff that was on the Bullet single. Um, so maybe the third song uh, on the Cough Cool session 
is no more. Like, it doesn't exist because it was destroyed completely. So there's no record of it. Um, what was used for the box set was Erie Vaughn's copy of Cough Cool Sheep. They, they, they called up Erie and they were like, and, and was just like, and they were like, Erie, let, you know, they digitized his, his seven inch. So the, the only reason why anybody heard that on the box set besides the, um, you know, the, the seven inches that were lying around was because of Erie had, gave them their, their copy of, of the seven inch because they wanted to include it. Um, so there's that. So this song, this third studio track from the Cough Cool session um, that was shelved for whatever reason. I, again, okay, trying to rack my brain, and again, I have to listen to the Manny tape, which I have not, the, uh, the interview tape. But I believe... I believe it's very, very possible that uh, the song was uh shelved because it w uh it was a it might have been it was either money it was a money reason they didn't have enough money to uh record the they didn't have enough money to put a third song on the tape i don't know if that's a cost factor in manufacturing i don't know what it was it was something like that what, what for whatever reason it was shelved and they and it was two because they could have done i mean they did three songs later i don't know why that would be uh, uh an issue but it was shelved and I do believe, do not quote me on this, I believe that song is Harpies in the Night. I do believe that was recorded in the studio uh, during the Cough Cool Sessions. So that's the third song. Um, but again, I'm not sure. Okay, now, we've arrived to the main course. That's right, folks. All of this shit was a build-up to uh, analysis of West End Avenue, the song. So we're going to talk about that. I'm just talking about what I remember hearing. That's it. That's all this is. If you thought you were going to hear something fucking cool, no. Because I don't have anything fucking cool. If you hate me for it, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but I thought this would be fun content for, for Facebook Live. So sue me. Don't sue me. Um, West End Avenue. Ready? These are my notes. Uh, as I wrote them, February 23rd, uh, 2017, 40 years after I, this song was recorded live. Um, another thing to explain that I did not explain, um, why does this tape exist in the first place? Very good question. This tape only exists because of Manny. Manny, you have Manny to thank for this tape's existence. Why? Because Manny, you know, football players have this practice, right? They like to uh, record their games to see, uh, and then watch them back to see how they're performing. And Manny had that exact... I don't know if Manny played football, but Jerry played football. And Manny had the exact same approach. He wanted to... He recorded a lot of their rehearsals. He recorded early live shows uh, uh, and stuff like that because he wanted to play back and hear his performance and hear you know how he was doing so that he could improve on his craft. Um, many people have decided that the Misfits were like a jazz trio, like because of Cough Cool She, which is just utter horseshit. Like I said, it is. It's fucking, it's definitely like art rock, piano art rock, and it is a little jazzy. If you think about it, those are three jazz instruments traditionally, piano, bass, and, and drums. So from that standpoint, maybe. But Manny's drum playing is not jazzy. 
People just say that. They say that in the same way that they say, oh, Sam, the more metal-tinged Sam Hain. And, man, I don't know about any of you motherfuckers, but as a fucking diehard lover of Sam Hain and a fan of death rock and goth music, there's no... Sam Hain is not fucking metal. Look, there's no metal in Sam Hain. Sam Hain is death rock by the way of hardcore. You know what I'm saying? They're one of the most unique bands to ever exist. And the fact that they played shows with hardcore bands when they were secretly this death rock golf band, it just, it blow, they blow my mind. People love to say that. The metal tinge, like gra general, general uh, fair weather um, music journalists go, they went transition from the uh, uh, horror punk misfits to the more metal tinged Sam Hain before going full on hard rock metal Danzig. Bullshit. And it's the same thing with with Manny's drumming style. Again, as a non-drummer, as a non-musician, it does not, it did not sound uh, jazzy to me at all, man. It sounded like, I mean, his style is very different from Mr. Jim's. Um, more meat and potatoes than Mr. Jim's, but not meat and potatoes like Joey Image. You know, Joey Image is just, he's just a fucking bam-bam, just like, while Mr. Jim is like, Riding that fucking hi hat, and then doing all those little drum fills in between. Like you know, you blink an eye, and Mr. Jim has done a drum drum fill. Um, no offense to all the Misfits drummers out there. I think uh, Mr. Jim is by far my favorite. Uh, I love them all for different reasons, and you know, Googie is just you know standard like four four same same beat. But as Bevan Davies, who is uh, uh, who played with Glenn on Circle of Snakes. He did an interview with me, uh, Misfits fan, um, mentioned something that's very appropriate and something that I think um, sort of hurts Dave Lombardo. I, Dave Lombardo is a great drummer. I'm not saying he's not, but he, I, I think that I think that um, I think that he plays it plays the songs too straight, man. He does like for the, these reunions. He's playing them so succinct, and that was the beauty of Googie. You know, Googie was playing them like. You know, he kind of played them really sloppy. He played them to, to, to feel, to ear, and it gave the songs a more organic feel live and in the studio. And they just don't, and nobody can replicate that. Nobody tries to replicate that when they play Misfit songs. That's the other thing that sounds off about Misfit songs, truly. Okay, so anyway, Manny's drumming. Right, so he's not a fucking jazz drummer. I don't know where this jazz drumming thing came from. Just from listening to Cough Cool and Cheese so much. Um, I guess maybe on the recording, it's a little a teeny bit jazzy on those two songs, uh, but not, and you know, the songs were also played live at this show and there's a slower, they're almost note for note, the way that they're played live, they're played on, on the record, almost note for note, except I would say the speed is slightly slower. Um, still fucking fascinating to listen to though. All right. Westend Avenue. So, small preface, preface, in 2011, um, Jonathan Grimm, the legendary Misfits collector. So everything that Mark Kennedy and Jonathan Grimm found out and put on, you know, uh, Jonathan Grimm helped Mark Kennedy um, put, put his collection on, gave, gave Mark access to his huge collection of, of Misfits stuff that Jonathan Grimm just went out and fucking got himself, a.k.a. 
uh, Jim Dorsey, a.k.a., you know, Tank, um, you know, he acquired, and his story is fascinating, too, um, but a side note. Uh, the, and, you know, all their research for, for records and stuff came from those two guys sitting in the room in, in D.C. or Virginia or wherever they're from originally, uh, and just sort of, like, looking over that stuff. But when I interviewed, I interviewed uh, uh, Jim, uh, uh, Jonathan Grimm as a, as a as a music collector as a as a as the ultimate fiend collector who had the most complete misfits collection uh, ever known to man uh, before anybody I mean he had test pressings and he sold his collection for a very uh, lucrative sum large sum uh, chunk of change um, he he regaled me with something that blew my fucking mind and this was back in 2011 he started sort of singing West End Avenue. And when he was hanging out at Jerry's one day, because he just hang out at Jerry's, he they were making pancakes in Jerry's kitchen. And Jerry starts humming something to Tank. To I don't know what to call you, Tank. Jonathan Grimm. We're going to call him Jonathan Grimm, because that's who he was at the time. He's, he sort of retired that moniker ever since. He he, And, you know, you've heard him sing on re rehearsals for the 95 Misfits. He's... He tried out and would, would fill in when they would rehearse the songs in the basement at Pro Edge. Um, and he was like, he eventually became the tour manager, uh, right-hand man. He was there for a lot of that 90s stuff, man. He saw it all. Um, and he said to, I think he asked, I have to look on the tape. I have to lift, look at the goddamn tape again. But he asks uh, Jerry what that is, or Jerry tells him that that's West End Avenue. And at the time, what he did, what, 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 this, and I remember this. Talk about like important things being etched into your fucking memory. For years and years and years, I thought I had heard West End Avenue. And, uh, and this is all that I knew. This is all that anybody fucking knew from the song. It was based on what Jim, and Jim, Jim was mimicking. And now I'm just like, this is a copy of a copy of a copy. Jim mimicked, Jim was mimicking, uh, uh, what Jerry was doing in his kitchen. He put up his hands like this, and he just goes, and Jim, this is Jim's version. Jim butchered what must have originally been, because, it, you know, he's remembering something from 20 years ago, you know, to me, um, just off his memory, because, you know, and he goes, uh, West End Avenue, West End Avenue. And so for years, for years and years and years, I was like, holy shit, that's what West End Avenue sounds like. West End Avenue. West End Avenue, and I would tell tons of people, whoever I could, you know, the, this little nugget, you know, and someone who I'm not going to name here, but someone uh, who I later would tell about that was like, was very right in this sense. It's kind of like this oral tradition, like, you know, the way we, or, you know, people pass along, passed along folk songs in the same way, this thing that at the time I was like, this is lost to history, right? Completely fucking lost to history. And... And here it is now, and he's going, West End Avenue, West End Avenue. And I'm going, fuck, man. And I'm, I would just do that over and over and over to myself. And I asked, you know, I ask everybody. I would ask fucking everybody I knew, hey, hey, man, do you know anything about West End Avenue? Do you know anything about Harpies in the Night? You know, and nobody fucking knew anything until I asked that to Jim, and he, he did that for me. And that was, that was all that I knew at the time, until February 23rd. 2017, when I fucking heard this shit. It's like, Jeff, stop fucking burying the lead, you fuck. Like, tell us. So tell us more. Tell us more. Okay.
So here's some more shit. So, well, I'm trying to show this to my personal page right here. Where is it? Okay, there. Sorry. Um, all right, so here is my description. So by the way, and this is what I remember from three years ago. It's not West End Avenue. West End Avenue. It's more like... And then like... And then the chorus is actually more like... It's more like... West End... West End Avenue, West End Avenue, West End riff. It's like, uh, like, dun 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 dun. No, like, it goes from dun 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 to like, dun dun. Oh God, it's like I can hear it so well in my head, and I can't like say it. It's like. Dun 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 dun. Whatever, and then it goes back, and then the bass. The bass is like just very simple. The bass and the rhythm section, the bass and, and, and the drums are just like um, it's just like ding 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 something like that. Like ding 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 whatever. And then the drums, and so then the thing of the drums is alright, I'm just gonna read the fucking thing. What am I fucking doing the thing for? Okay. West End Avenue feels like the beginning point for this band that still doesn't quite know what it is yet. Starting out, and then in quotes, after rehearsals, jams, and generally messing around. Because pre-1977, in 1976, and this is where everybody in Misfits nerdum starts going, um, uh, they start going like, uh, 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 they're like, Oh, Diane's the original bassist. No, Jerry's the original bassist. But it's like, you know, before Jerry, Manny, and Glenn formed as the Misfits, as this band, there were a bunch of revolving players, including Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim was one of them. He'd, like, come in and jam. There was this guy that we've all fucking, you know, heard about and tried to track down, and yada, 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 this guy, Jimmy Battle. I did email with Jimmy Battle, finally. Uh, but I've never spoken to him. Uh... What else? Uh, there's Jimmy Battle. There's Diane. Diane is thanked on the back of Cough Cool. She was a friend of the band. I did speak to Diane via email, and she wrote something really fucking cool, and I really hope, I don't want to say it here, I hope to read it on camera and use it in my documentary, because uh, it's really fucking cool, and it's honest, and it's so amazing to hear from her and what she has to say. Um, so you had Diane... And you just had these different people that were revolving in the band. And there was probably some guitar playing, but the band wasn't a band. It was no fucking band. There was no band until Glenn, Jerry, and Manny got together and fucking made a band. And in law, you know, you read the lawsuit stuff and Glenn has, you know, uh, made proclamations like he was using the name The Misfits as early as October of 1976. And he might have. Yes, Tanner. I that's how I started uh, messaging with him, and I think I got his email, and he just took like months and months to respond. That's how I found out about, and he put that on there that he was like founding member of the Misfits. Really funny, but you know, and and Jimmy Battle, 
I had always heard that Jimmy Battle was from what, like absolutely nothing that I knew about him, but I'd heard that he was a black guy. And so to see this, 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 uh, this guy on Facebook, Jimmy Battle happened to be black. I was like, and saying he was the founder of Mrs. I was like, holy shit, that's fucking Jimmy Battle. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy how that lined up. There's another early figure in Misfits, um, in Misfitsdom that I have, for 10 years, I tried to track down this fucking guy because uh, I wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, he's known by many names and I'd always drop his name to try and, you know, uh, to, to people that were like around back that time to jog their memory and everybody fucking remembered him. Everybody remembered his name and he's thanked on the back of of, of Cough Cool She uh, LP. And I don't know if he's dead or alive, but I've always tried to fucking find this guy because he could probably tell me so much uh, uh, good shit. Um, and, and so, okay, back to the, back to the thing, back to the, the, the thing. Um, as I said, West End Avenue feels like the beginning point for this band that still doesn't quite know what it is yet. Starting out after rehearsal, as I, that's where I, that's right, that's where I went on on this tangent. We were talking about the rehearsals, jams, and general messing around. There was no guitar. It was just piano backed by a rhythm section and West End Avenue's songwriting leans heavily on it. And that's what, West End Avenue is a piano song, Then, Like, maybe he wrote it on a guitar. I don't think so. I don't think he wrote any of these songs on the guitar. As a matter of fact, and maybe I saw uh, Joe Stoker on here, and Tanner, I know you're, you're close with Bobby. I haven't spoken to Bobby in years, but I interviewed Bobby five times and hung out with Bobby a whole bunch. I don't even know if he remembers me, probably in passing, def probably not by name, because you know, Bobby can be like that. Um, although at the same time, Bobby's mind, sometimes it's like an iron trap. That guy fucking knows so much shit. But I believe that Bobby uh, might have made mention, because Bobby told me about, you know, just being in Glenn's room, as I'm sure he tells everybody, you know, you, you, when you ask him a thousand questions about Glenn's basement and Glenn's room at 49 MacArthur and, uh, holy shit, I probably shouldn't have, well, but people know it's general information. Um, uh... You know, uh, and he mentions that in Glenn's room uh, was the, the Fender Rhodes piano. And connected to the Fender Rhodes piano, this is what Bobby told me, is a loud, like a loud shoehorn speaker. Um, kind of like what you would find at a baseball field. Like, you know, for like, you know, an out, like announcing the games. And, sorry, there was the Fender Rhodes piano. Next to it was a sort of like a childish looking like Casio like play school sort of like record player and connected to it was this loudspeaker thing, you know, from a baseball field that, that Glenn had probably, had, you know, ripped off, stolen, stuck on there to make it make, you know, his record sound faster, I mean, louder. And, you know, the thing that Bobby said was, you know, uh, so Glenn had this piano in his room. That's probably where, like, he came up with a lot of songs, man. And he would just would write songs for days. He had tons and tons of fucking songs, man. And when Bobby would pick him up, for practice, he said, and this is Bobby's memory, I've never heard anybody else say this, so I don't know, you know, who knows. But Bobby was like, Glenn opened up a, a, he had a chest, and in the chest was just tons of compositions, like paper. It was just usually a song title and, and a chorus, or, you know, like the song was, was patchy, like maybe it was still working out the song, like it wasn't totally complete. And he would pick like one or two from this stack of compositions. And that would be what they would play at practice. Um, 
somebody else told me that you know their memory was jogged, and they told me that that there was a song called there's a song called horror movies that just they used to practice in '79. I've never heard anybody ever tell me about this song. I've never heard anything else. It's just what this guy know, and this guy would fucking know. This guy is an insider. Again, I don't want to just trying to be political here, but he told, I think it was called Horror Movies or Horror Movie or Horror Show or something. And that was a song they used to do. Uh, they used to do a lot of songs, a lot of covers. Um, uh, more, clever, uh, more covers before The Misfits. In any case, so, um, it's just a piano, it's piano backed by a rhythm section and, and West End Avenue songwriting leans heavily on it. And that, Glenn composed these songs on piano. All those early songs, a lot of the songs that I heard at this third show are fucking piano songs, man. And that's why Frank comes out halfway through to play the more, the new songs that were probably written on a guitar. Or if they were written on a piano, they were written with chords that are more adaptable guitar. And those songs are Angel Fucking Last Caress. You know, and then the rest of these songs. So, in fact, it's very possible that Hybrid Moments is actually a fucking piano song before it became, before it was adapted to be a guitar song, if you could possibly imagine that. When I think of Hybrid Moments, I do not think of it as a piano song at all, in any way, shape, or form. Um... And here's where I say, although I don't know and forgot to ask Manny when I interviewed him earlier today, so this part I wrote the day that I guess I, I must have written this hours after being with him, because again, I've just been writing for a few days, it leads me to believe that West End Avenue, much like some of the other songs played live in the set, is one of their very, very earliest songs as a band. Let me qualify that. What does that mean to me, at least? It means that... Is it the first song? No, probably not. I don't, who, know, who could fucking know what the first song is? But it was probably in that very first batch of songs that after he was doing those jams with Diana and Jimmy Battle or whoever, that it's one of those songs that solidified them as a misfits. Maybe that's like one of the earliest songs that Manny, Jerry, and Glenn like started the band with. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I believe it's one of, those early, one of their earliest songs. Um, this song also stands to reason just how much, and this... I can't stress enough. This was the probably, in listening to this show, this was one of the biggest revelations for me as a fucking fan uh, and changed everything that I thought I knew about this band. Um, and again, if I were to say, I think if I were to like, if I did sit down in a room with Glenn or Jerry and they were like, not like, like, not like very like, and again, Jerry is a fucking sweetheart. He really is. And I have been around Jerry. I met Jerry, uh, for the first time, 10 minutes after he came off stage uh, at the Chicago Riot Fest show, the guy's tired as fucking hell. He just gave uh, his all for an hour and 40 minutes, and he is so fucking nice and gregorious to me. He has no reason to be. He signs my Dave Lombardo set list. Like, he could just be like, buzz off, dude. I just fucking finished this show. Like, leave me alone. And he's just, like, so solicitous and talking. And there's really something to be said for how fucking nice and awesome Jerry is. You know? And Glenn, too, man. I've met Glenn. I've been alone with Glenn and one other person in his dressing room during the Danzig Legacy in 2011, and Glenn was so fucking nice to me. Like, just so fucking, like, like, and I was only with him for, like, five minutes, but he was just so fucking cool, and, like, you know, and we made some small talk, and it was just fucking excellent. Point, but, but if I sat down and asked them, you know, 
about this stuff, they pro- or what I'm about to say, and they'd be like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. And I know what I'm talking about because I lived it, and I was fucking there, so fuck you. So I just want to put that out there when I say what I'm about to say. Um, you know, when everybody lists, you know, what, what, are the, what are Glenn's influences musically, we always go to Elvis. We always talk about um, Black Sabbath. We talk about the Ramones. We talk, there's so many bands and things. Velvet, Glenn loves to reference the Velvet Underground now. He always, always references. He's like, yeah, Velvet Underground. Like, that's what he talks Like, all this stuff. And Jerry, on the flip side, um, loves talking about David Bowie. Because he used to see Bowie. And he said Bowie was the, the inspiration. Um, and I think Alice Cooper is, is mentioned a bunch um, but nobody really talks about the doors. It's mentioned. It's always mentioned when you're listing things off, like uh, Elvis, Black Sabbath, the doors, because his voice is very Jim Morrissey. Morrissey, not Morrissey, Jim Morrison-like, Jim Morrison-esque. His voice and these song, this song is a fucking door song. That's what it was. And this band was almost this three-piece art rock band driven by a piano is like, it's unbelievable how much they're like the doors. They're like the fucking doors, man. Straight the fuck up. Um, and I would say West End Avenue might be along with two other ones that I will mention at another time are probably their most door like song. I mean, most sound like the doors and they're the three songs that have never been recorded that nobody knew existed that are lost to time, but for this recording. So, this song also stands to reason just how much Glenn was influenced by the Doors, whether he wants to admit it or not. And here's what I remember from his voice. I wrote this the day I heard it. His low register croon has softer, more velvety feel than the biting edge it would take on with the static age material. But you can hear all of the piss and vigor underneath, just waiting to rise to the top as it would later on. And so that's what it was, man. So like when he's singing, and I don't know what the fuck the lyrics were, except the what, you know, West End Avenue, West End Avenue. Um, but he's singing like, this is kind of like the melody a little. He's like, let's remember that. The like it almost. All right. This is crazy. All right. I'm going to post it here, too, in the comments. You know what it kind of fucking reminds me of a little bit? Just a little bit. I know this sounds really fucking stupid, but it's just how I remember it. It's just, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Jimmy Fallon reading Rainbow. And you're like, what? Jimmy Fallon reading Rainbow? Like, what the fuck? Ah, we don't want to play it now, but I'll let you listen to it in the comments. This has a little bit of the energy that West End Avenue has, except for the part at the end where he goes, Rainbow! Although he kind of does it like fucking, you know, 1988 Glenn Danzig in Danzig. Rainbow! Like later on, but not, that wasn't in West End Avenue. But this sort of like, his sort of approach to take a look it's in a book, a reading rainbow. That is very much what West End Avenue is kind of like, uh, a little bit, as I remember. Um, here's where I talk about the, the music theory that I was 
mentioning earlier. The music revolves around two very simple piano parts and a repeating bass line. I wrote bass line, like home run bass. Bass line. Manny's drumming is fantastic and retains an odd time signature that I don't believe to be standard 4-4. Although, again, I am not a musician and I do not know if that is true. To someone who... To sum up the whole song, okay, to sum up everything I just said, and again, I wrote, spelled some wrong, written, wrote that very quickly when I wrote it. To sum up the whole song, simply, it feels like Glenn trying to write The Doors, doing a weird offbeat waltz. That is what, in my opinion, West End Avenue is a weird offbeat waltz, with a weird time signature that's very, like, reminiscent of Cough, you know how Cough Cool is weird. Sim, it's similar. Uh, and to address James Robertson, are you still... Wait, was it... No, John... John Noge? Is that how I spell your last name? Noge? Noge. Noge. John Noge. Manny played with the most swing. Dave plays with no swing. Okay. Uh, what does that fucking mean? Let's fucking Google that shit. I'm guessing drum swing means like the uh, delay in, in hitting your drum, like, you know, uh, playing l looser, right? Like you're playing looser with the drums. Let's see what drum swing turns up. Straight versus swing drum beats. What is drum swing? Swing, sometimes groove or shuffle, is the addition of tiny delays to every other hit of the beat. It is used to mimic the nature, the natural sound of a real human drummer Drums are usually responsible for the overall groove of your track. I yeah yeah John I, I think you're yeah I think you're 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 right about that. I don't know if he played. Oh yeah, I guess he probably did play with the most swing. I don't know, man. I think to be honest, I think Googie kind of played with swing a little bit in the sense of like, or at least live, because he's just sort of like he's not he's trying to be. Googie's trying to be a, a, a rapid-fire machine. You know who was a fucking rapid-fire machine? Like a computer. Like, truly, like, like uh, it's time to be an android, not a man. It's fucking Mr. Jim. Because he's just like, every song on Static Age is just like... Like, you just, just fill after fill after fill. If you're ever trying to, like, you know, drum... Like, I'm, I'm not a drummer, again, but, like, you know that... Like, just into, into you know, uh, maybe he means more of a groove. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, James, I, again, a non-musician trying to speak in musical language, man. Not not my thing. But, yeah, I guess the, the, the tiny delays. Like, I would say that Manny definitely had that. And he has it way more than Dave Lombardo, who is, yeah, Dave Lombardo is like machine drumming, you know? And he just plays the songs way too straight for my taste. Robo. Robo is like a very... Uh, it's used to mimic the sound of a real human drummer. Robo, which is funny because his, his, his nickname is Robo, uh, is a real human drummer in my opinion. There's, he's, his drumming is very human. It's very organic. I think that Manny's drumming is organic. I think that... Uh, Joey Image is just a, a.k.a. Joey Pills, a.k.a. Joey Poole, is just a fucking power hitter, man. He's just a fucking, he just fucking hits powerfully, you know? Uh, 
Okay, moving on. Moving on. Because this is going way too... Oh my god, it's been two hours. How the hell did that happen? Uh, Alright, so like I said, West End Avenue, it's a weird offbeat waltz, man. That's what it is. In my opinion, that's what it is, you know? Uh, and then here's my... Here's the questions, everybody. I'd love... Be cool to get a discussion going. I don't know if we can. We'll try. Coffee is probably super cold. Hmm. It is cold, but still, still a little warm. Anyway, um, here's the next part. This is th these are my thoughts. Um, these are some thoughts based on uh, a question I had in my mind. Glenn knew how to play guitar at this time. But, you know, I believe Glenn started off with piano. I think piano was actually Glenn's first instrument before guitar. Don't quote me on that. But I think it was. But Glenn did know how to play guitar. And we do know that Glenn pretty much can play any fucking instrument. He plays everything. Uh, a bit. Not best, but, you know, he does play everything. Um, uh, and, you know, you listen to Spook City USA and Who Killed Marilyn, and that's Glenn proving to himself and to his band that he doesn't need anybody to fucking record that shit, but, you know, those tracks are a little... Uh, I mean, I love the song, but those tracks are a little... Uh, uh, uh. Um, I don't want to... I do not want to uh, butcher your name. Uh, Domino... Domino? Is that your name, Domino? Uh, let me get this straight. There's more than one tape? Yes. Yes, there is more than one tape. For sure. When I was with... When I was with Manny, um, we he had a cassette, and I had a tape deck, and I was deathly afraid because I had remembered the story that Tom Begowitz had told me, and I know tape is different than, you know, reel-to-reel -reel tape, that, you know, quarter-inch tape that they were recording on, but I didn't know what the state of this tape was. I didn't know if the tape would get eaten. It was a weird tape deck. I didn't want... I was so deathly afraid of destroying what was ever on that tape that I felt I would almost rather not hear it than hear it and destroy it. That was my feeling at the time. Today, I totally regret it, and I wish I'd played it and just heard it. And if it got eaten, then fuck all of you. I got to fucking hear that shit. You know, at least someone got to hear that shit, and I feel stupid. I think probably other people have heard that shit, to be honest, actually. I'm almost positive. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is more than one tape. Uh and that tape might have had a marble index on it. Might have had a bunch of things on it. Um, probably had in the doorway on it. Who knows? There's, there's, there, there's more than one tape. Anyway, getting back to my question and my thoughts on that question about Glenn as a musician. So based on what I'm hearing, I'm hearing all these piano-driven songs. I'm hearing these lost songs that are fucking piano songs. And the song West End Avenue, it's blowing my fucking mind. And I'm going, Glenn knew how to play guitar at this time. He knew how to play guitar because, as I recall, he taught Jerry how to play bass. Right? So he knew. And that was the thing. You know, Glenn, there were a lot of hotshot players in Lodi, but Glenn wanted people that he could mold. Glenn wanted people that uh, he could start fresh and mold into his image. And I think that's why, frankly, um, you know, Again, much love to you, Bobby Steele, but maybe that's that might have something to do overall with, you know, eventually getting controversially pushed out of that band because, you know, Bobby was a Bobby is like 
a phenomenal fucking guitarist. He's, he's, a fu he's fucking amazing. He's an amazing guitarist. He's the best guitarist that the Misfits ever had. I love you, Doyle. Much love to you, Doyle, but let's just say I prefer Bobby's play. Whatever, man. Uh, probably shouldn't have said that. But, um, yeah, I, I just think Bobby is a fucking amazing guitarist, man. I just love all the little flourishes he did on, on stuff. And probably, you know, as Jerry was grooming his brother, uh, and Glenn taught fucking Doyle how to fucking play, just the way that he taught Jerry how to play. You know, this was part of, 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 because before the Misfits, there were tons of players in Lodi. Everybody fucking played, and they were really good players, and they played only cover songs. They could, you know, do Led Zeppelin note for note, but they were fucking, they had egos. They had big egos. They wanted to be the center of the band or blah, 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 or they didn't want to get with the program. And as we all know about fucking Uncle Glenn, Uncle Glenn has a plan. And if you're not with Uncle Glenn's plan, then get the fuck out of the van. And that probably contributed to why Glenn was like, I just want guys that I, you know, bring in, I fucking show them what's what, and they fucking play. And maybe, like, somewhere along the line, at some point, you know, besides all the personality conflicts or whatever it was, that ultimately Glenn might have found it more appealing to have uh, someone he taught play guitar than this fucking hotshot, you know, virtuoso by punk rock standards playing um, guitar. Judging by what you just said, I don't think you heard the tape that I had in the door that had in the doorway. The version on that tape really backs up what you said about the Doors' influence. Almost sounds like a band doing a Misfit song in the style of the Doors. So, uh, two things, Tanner. Um, I have heard in the doorway. Uh, I'm not going to say how I heard in the doorway, but I also eventually got to hear in the doorway as well, and it is a separate tape. Um, In the Doorway was not played on that live set list. They might have scrapped In the Doorway, or In the Doorway, maybe it wasn't written. I don't know why they didn't include it. Maybe it was cut for time. Maybe. Maybe they were like, let's take out In the Doorway and instead play some of our new songs with Frank. There's many different ways that that could have happened. I didn't think that, that any other version of In the Doorway existed, apart from the... Well, what we found, what was found on Static Age, but yes, in, there is another version of In the Doorway. It is kind of live, and it is also incredibly fucking Doorsy. And that's the truth, man. They are, they are fucking uh, the Doors, man. And then there's a band called Zombiest. Shout out to Zombiest, who covered In the Doorway, um, and tried to say that they were, or, or tried to pass it off as a recording by. As it was a joke, just a goof. Um, they tried to pass it off as a recording by Glenn's previous band that also had Mr. Jim and Stevie Lynn Linder, who I conducted interviews with both, called It's Not Hoodat and Boojang or whatever. It was Kudat with a K. Kudat and Boojang. And um, they're claiming that that was... And, and so, but it sounds, it's very much in the style of... Of, of the Misfits, because Mario's voice from Zombies, Mario is like a carbon cop. Like, he sounds exactly like Glenn. And that's not like a, a, a knock at Zombies. They're, those guys are huge fucking Misfits, Sam Hain, Danzig fans. And, you know, I don't know what the reasons why they broke up, but I do know that at some point there, I believe, I believe, do not quote me on this, I believe there was some contention because his voice sounded so much like Glenn. So they record, and, and the reason why I'm saying that is because they tried to trick everybody as a joke, they, but they later admitted 
that they uh, 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 that there was that they <laughs> that, that that this was in the doorway by Kudat and Bujang, or Hudat and Bujang at the time. I don't fucking remember which one they they used. Um, and what's funny is that Zombies version sounds very much like this version that Tanner has mentioned um, about uh, in in the doorway. It's like fucking crazy. Like it's so it. It is, man. It sounds just like... And, and the clip I heard was very short. It was only in the doorway. It was only like 49 seconds. I did not get to hear the full fucking thing, but it was fucking... That was unbelievable. Talk about that another day. I really want to focus on this last piece because I got to wrap this up because it's been going for so fucking long. Um, uh, James, as far as I know, what we listened to was a CD. As far as I know, everything is digitized. No, I Tanner, I did not hear the pony tape. I wish I could have, and uh, it kills me. It truly kills me. I I, I uh, did not get to hear the pony tape, but I do believe all of that shit is thoroughly backed up and digitized. Um, don't ask me how I know that, but I believe that everything is now safe and sound uh, from those tapes. Um. Okay. So Glenn knew how to play guitar at this time, but chose to use piano, uh, use the piano live and in the studio, which leads me to a few thoughts as to why that is. So why is it that Glenn chose the piano live and in the studio with the Misfits instead of uh, guitar? Why is why wasn't the Misfits just like a three-piece guitar-based drums, as it would later become with him as a, as a frontman? Um, and by the way, I believe. The Pony Tapes, or at least in Pony, Prostitutes of New York, in which they performed in weird get-ups like scuba gear. They performed, uh, there were originals, but there were also covers. And some of those covers were included the New York Dolls, Lou Reed, Take a Walk on the Wild Side, um, I think the Velvet Underground, and something that they performed in The Misfits a whole bunch, uh, way before they covered it uh, with Michael Graves later on, uh, was I Gotta Write by Iggy and the Stooges, which Jack Rabbit of uh, Big Takeover Magazine, who I interviewed, who gave one of the most face-melting interviews. You guys got to hear his interview. It's fucking amazing. You will hear his interview. Um, he talked about, he talks about how I Got a Right by Iggy and the Stooges is the pinpoint moment in time when uh, it's the first true punk rock song. And the Misfits used to play it live all the time. So the Mis Misfits used to cover stuff like Blue Christmas, that, and uh, in another session, if this goes well, if people, if there is demand for another one of these sessions, I will go into some shit that will totally blow your mind and further solidify that Doors stuff. And I've talked about it, you know, in comments on in Facebook groups and stuff, but, you know, like, uh, to really uh, go into it, because it's unfucking believable But that's for another day. Uh, we can get to that. All right, so, okay, all right, no more, no more sidetracks. We're going to fucking talk about this shit, okay? Ready. Um, Glenn simply, uh, sorry, Glenn knew how to play guitar this time, but chose to use the piano live and in the studio, which leads me to a few thoughts as to why that is. Why does Glenn use piano instead of guitar? That's what I'm trying to say. One, Glenn simply, compo Glenn simply composed the songs on a piano, not guitar, and chose in turn to play piano live. Again, for whatever reason, maybe, and you know, I didn't put this down here, but I think 
you know, we've heard Glenn play live a little bit, but I don't think he's very much of a live player. Like, he he plays in the studio and stuff, but he doesn't really seem, you know, uh, maybe it's the way he holds the guitar or whatever. It just doesn't, he, it's kind of, he's kind of awkward when he plays guitar. He's better as a, you know, mic holding frontman, which is what he is. He just simply composed the songs on the piano. That's it. No, nothing else. Yeah, so he's playing them on piano. Uh, two. Glenn's original idea for the band was not what it would become. What it would become, not became. Become. Glenn's original idea for the band was not what it would become. Meaning that when Glenn started the Misfits and when he was jamming and blah blah blah, perhaps uh, he saw it as that art rock thing. That 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 trio, just that that uh, guitar. Sorry, that uh, piano, bass, drums trio, and nothing fucking more. That's it, man. Right. Like, you know, uh, uh, it's not, not, not like something like what it would become. Uh, and that's why he played it on piano and that's it. Number three, this original incarnation of the band was a live show playing recording group as all other versions were. But every time they changed personnel until 1980, the, uh, the band evolved both musically and visually as it got more and more involved with the New York punk scene of the late 70s. The truth is, this may be a controversial statement for Misfits nerds, but it's what I believe. The truth is, the Misfits is really four-ish bands in one. More on that later. Uh, but I'll touch on that now. Yeah, I, I think that the Misfits and, you know, Devil Man, I think, has said this before in the Seventh House group. Like, to Glenn... It's it's all Glenn Danzig's, you know, songwriting, right? So it's like he's he's always been the 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 the, the nucleus of of the group. So for him, it's just jumping from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and it's never been about the personnel much. Although I would, for him, he thinks that, but for me, I disagree because I'll tell you something: Danzig and Doyle doing Misfit songs was fucking phenomenal, but it was nothing like Glenn, Jerry, and 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 Doyle doing those Misfits songs. Jerry adds so much to the Misfits equation, it's not even funny. But in Glenn's mind, you know, it's like Glenn. The, it's like, I'm Glenn. These are my fucking songs. And I'm doing another project. Okay, let me get four new guys. Another, you know, it's just everything is, is an evolution of before. Danzig is just the most modern evolution of the Misfits. I don't agree with that. I think every time they change personnel... Because each member brought a fucking flavor to this band. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they you know, they they brought their they brought their own their, their own flavor, their own visual. I mean, especially with Doyle. Doyle brought a whole fucking visual look that Bobby Steele didn't have uh, uh, at all. You know what I mean? My twins of evil. You know what I mean? The 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 the, the Trinity man. The, the 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 triangle. The phalanx. It's like. Fucking mad scientist with his two brooding fucking, you know, Frankenstein monsters on the left and the right. You know what I mean? Um, different band. The classic lineup. Much different band from Cough, Cool, Sheep. So, the original, uh, uh, so going back to, you know, uh, uh, number two. You know, the original idea for the band was not what it would become. And so, it's like, it's like this, this thing that evolves. So, it starts off on the piano. So, that's why Glenn's playing piano. That's why he's writing songs on the piano. And then he's like, no, this it's actually this. So, for me, I think that 
the band, like I said, is four-ish bands. I think, and I label them by releases, man. You have the Cough Cool Band, which is, you know, Manny, Glenn, and Jerry. Then you have the Static Age Band, which is Franche, Mr. Jim, uh, Glenn, and Jerry. Uh, then you have the Horror Business Band, which is, uh, by many, especially of, of recent, is people love that fucking lineup. Um, and it's what that's where the horror shit really fucking comes in, because the Static Age had some horror, but it was still more, I don't know, it was more like, it was more 77 punk, if that makes any sense, than it was horror. But the horror elements really come in in 19, late 1978, 1979, with the horror business band. They get the Crimson Ghost. They start growing out their fucking devil locks. They all start wearing the, the, the Ramones uh, leather jackets. You know, that's when they became, uh, that's when the fucking horror shit really happened. And before that, you know, Glenn thanks Bukowski on that Cough Cool record. And he thanks Bukowski because Glenn was very much influenced by Charles Bukowski in his fucking writing. Charles Bukowski was a beat poet. A lot of the songs on Static Age are beat poetry put to music. You know what I'm saying? Like, so after the Cough Cool Band uh, sort of uh, evolves into the Static Age Band, you know, with the addition of Frank and the replacing of, of Mr. Jim with, with, Man, or with Manny with Mr. Jim... They're, they're playing, you know, fast, punk, buzzsaw punk rock, but Glenn's lyrics, which extend from that cough, cool, that cough Cool era, are all sort of like these, like, you know, like, think about, like, the lyrics to Cough Cool, and even look at, like, She. They're just, they're poems, man. Bullet started off as a poem. You know what I'm saying? It's all fucking, like, beat poetry. Like, think about TV Casualty. Like, breaking that shit down. Um, TV Casualty, uh... Uh, there are paint smears on everything that I own. The vapor, the vapor rub is lying on a table of filth. Christmas cards to which I never replied. My eyeballs absorb only blue-filtered light. It's like, it just sounds like beatnik poetry. Um, I wish they'd put Prince Namor on the tube. Hold on, I think I have to puke. There's a spot in the corner where I always go. I like to feed the flies that I know. It's like there's like a little bit of horror-tinged stuff, but it's really more like pop culture. Um, and this is my one of my favorite, you know, lines. Babies in prison, they call it a womb. Nine months the sentence, no parole. Slivers of steel stuck in her lungs, breathe deep. We need a donor for blood. You know, uh, and I think Static Age, the song Static Age does that as well. And Theme for a Jackal does that, you know. Dead daughter in the river, entrance gained by her liver. That was some uh, one of my interviews subjects turned me on to that lyric. Really drove it home for me, you know, as to as to just like sort of what he's doing there. So that's like this is a band that's very inspired. This version of the band is very inspired by like fucking poetry. Bullet, or no, we are one thirty eight. Do you think we're robot clean? Does his face look almost mean? It's time to be an android, not a man. What does 138 mean? Shut the fuck up. I don't want you to know what 138 means. It's my artistic fucking statement, my David Lynch artistic statement, where I don't want you to know what the meaning of this fucking thing is. I don't want you to know what this means. So shut the fuck up. It's about violence. Fuck you. Um, and then all of a sudden, 1979, horror business. It all becomes all about horror business. That's the third incarnation of this band. And then... 
Doyle comes into the picture, and we get the classic lineup, the devil lock forms. They become these muscle-bound guys, and that's what everybody in my interviews remembers them as, these muscle-bound guys. They weren't always such muscle-bound guys. They were skinny in leather, black, all black sort of guys. And then they became, you know, started wearing wrestling pants and, and took off their shirts and fucking were just, just had this fucking, this look, I mean, this, 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 this ferocious look in addition to the music they're playing. And they're starting to get faster and faster and faster. And then when Robo joins, they infuse a black flag drummer into their sound. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, they become fucking hardcore. They start playing with all the hardcore bands. Let me ask you a question. There's very few bands. Like, uh, here's one example. Um, fucking the Dead Kennedys is an example. Because they're, you know what? They, they were around from 1977 to 1984. I think Black Flag is a good example. But none of these bands evolved from musical genre or musical style to musical style and music style the way the, the, the Misfits did. They survived the, the punk 77 explosion because all those bands from 77 to 80 kind of died out. Then there was the interim, where they played with bands like The Mad, The Stimulators, and The Bad Brains at Max's Kansas City. And you know, the, and that evolved into fucking what became known as hardcore punk. And by the end, they're fucking influenced by all the Boston and DC bands. And they make their album, which is supposed to be this dark, slow, atmospheric vision that Glenn originally wanted. All of a sudden, they're fucking just speeding through these fucking songs. You know, as uh, Alex Story said in his interview, I think this is what he said in his interview, Doyle Singer, uh, who I interviewed many years ago for this project, he said, Earth AD is like one song in nine parts. And I totally fucking agree with that shit. And it's just nothing sounds like that fucking song. I mean, nothing sounds like that, that fucking record. It's so fast. This band has like evolved, man, over time. Um, let me, we're almost done. We're, we're at the end here. Um, Glenn has never been much of a live guitar player except for the Sammy days on Archangel and the first live show at the Rock Palace in March of 1984. So even after that 84 show, as we've seen uh, recorded, Glenn, you know, ju jumps on, uh, Glenn jumps on uh, uh, guitar uh, and, and, and for some reason there's two bass players. It's so weird. Erie and Damien are fucking playing <laughs> double bass while Glenn plays guitar and he's doing Archangel and you know it's kind of awkward man he's a little awkward holding the guitar it's just not natural for him it doesn't feel very natural it doesn't feel like uh, his instrument his instrument is a microphone uh, in all honesty even though he wrote the music it just doesn't work it does, that's why he, he, he keeps the, the, the template that he keeps um, during the Misfits days he would casually play guitar during informal gatherings like the Jim Morrison tribute night at Max's Kansas City. Perhaps more on that for another session. Uh, or the Studio Zero, which we've all seen on YouTube in a million different places in 1979. Studio Zero is a recording. Somebody was recording on VHS. It's Howie Pyro from The Blessed. I forget who else is there. Uh, and just Glenn and Jerry. And Glenn is on guitar and Jerry's playing um, bass, just the way that Glenn was on guitar at Max's Kansas City for the Jim Morrison tribute night. And, um, but they weren't playing as the Misfits. That wasn't the Misfits. They're just jamming. And so in a jamming atmosphere, Glenn feels okay throwing a guitar around his neck and just jamming. And if someone's recording it, they're recording it. He wasn't expecting that. Um, but when presenting as the Misfits, the image, he seemingly wanted to keep, uh, keep 
followed the same template of bands that he took some heavy, heavy influence from, Black Sabbath and the Ramones. Guitar, bass, drums, fronted by a magnetic lead singer frontman. When the project evolved from the Misfits to Sam Hain, he flirted again with the idea of playing guitar live, only to scrap it. So, to bring this around to my initial question and point, um, at some point, and at this show really, this, this, this historical pivot for the band to go from uh, a three-piece with piano, uh, bass, and drums to adding a guitar and dropping the piano, um, they, you know, Glenn decides to, to ditch it and become this frontman and become, you know, uh, what the Misfits would, would eventually, and the band evolves. So this band, it's a different fucking band. It's like, it's, and, and that's why, and in ditching the piano, in singing these songs live, he's ditching all the songs that are piano heavy and require more, um, they require uh, uh, him playing the piano live, you know? Like, the guitar doesn't... And uh, combine this with the fact that he's got these guys, some of, some of which, not all, but some of which he's teaching how to play, you know, or rudimentary players, or whatever you want to call them. He's, he has these guys come in uh, that are not the uh, uh, big, big, big-time players around the Lodi circuit um, playing... You know, he, he's simplifying things, you know, he's simplifying everything from the more nuanced piano songs. Again, not a musician. Who knows if that's fucking real? Um, five. And this is what I mentioned earlier. As I've heard, Devil Man, uh, a.k.a. Maurice. Shout out to Devil Man. What's up? Uh, as I've heard Devil Man and others say, it has always been uh, one band that reinvented itself over and over again, whether it was changing its name or not. Uh, basically saying that, you know, um, Glenn, the Misfits are just the first version of what Danzig would become and that it's just evolved. And it's always been Glenn's band with Glenn's songs and the, the people have changed and that's it. So it's like this thing that evolved from, from the Misfits to, from all the versions of the Misfits to Sam Hain, which largely remained the same to, uh, uh, Danzig. Uh, and then you have all the different versions of Danzig because, you know, that, Again, I love the current lineup of Danzig, um, but it is not the classic lineup of Danzig. Two different bands, man. Kind of. I mean, it's different bands. I have to say. It's the truth. Um, uh, and so even with the Misfits, you have this version of the band that existed before it became influenced by punk. You know, that doesn't say that it's not punk. But it just was more... It, it, it was just not as... It became... When they add the guitar, they were like, we need to adopt to the New York 1977 punk sound. Look, at this is what the Ramones are doing. This is what the Damned is doing. You know, um, let, let's not, I, I don't want to be this. I want to be this. I'm not, I don't want to be the talking heads. I want to be this. Um, and so this show, in hindsight, in a way, is a very big turning point when everything changed, you know, because the next show they would play, there would be no piano. Um... It, they would just be what the, it would be the template that would be forevermore all the way to this day with Danzig. Six, even though these songs are based on a jazzy, oh, I, we already talked about this. Even though these songs are based on a jazzy art rock instrumental approach, they are still very short, maybe one and a half to two minute tops. That's right. So all these fucking songs are short as fuck, these door songs. And generally, door songs are like seven fucking minutes. Not, I mean, not all of them, but I mean, so many of them, man. Like, a song, 
I guess West End Avenue is also kind of like the Alabama song. In terms of like the Alabama song, it feels like this. If 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 West End Avenue was like a weird uh, waltz, then this is like then Alabama song is like this uh, bar song, like Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. But it's like that is a five minute song. And West End Avenue couldn't have been longer than two minutes. Maybe it was a minute and a half. It was just a very short song. And all of the songs that were never recorded, all the early songs that are lost to time and only like live on these tapes are just very fucking short songs. And the thing to note is even though they are the fucking doors, even though they are the doors, um, they are totally fucking punk. They have such a punk attitude, despite their seeming unpunkness, as you can hear on that first seven inch, because Cough Cool and she are fucking punk as fuck, even though they're not. Like, imagine them playing Cough Cool and she. Imagine them trying to play Cough Cool in 1983 with Black Flag and the Necros. It would just be fucking weird. They scrapped even that the earlier songs. And as you can see later in the Misfits, you know, timeline of the original Misfits incarnation. They started scrapping earlier songs. A lot of the Static Age songs started to, to, to push away. They stopped doing Come Back. You know what I mean? Like, they couldn't do... They, they started um, moving faster and faster. The, and, and as the, the vision of the band evolved and changed, so did the material fall wayside. And so these piano songs on this live record are like this only... This, this, this air pocket in the fucking amber <laughs> from the dinosaur age. I'm like, whoa! These things did exist. Now, I'm not going to talk about them now, but I will say this. Um, and I do believe maybe somewhere you could find... I might have listed the set list uh, somewhere uh, on Facebook a long time ago. But the set... But West End Avenue, I believe... Again, I'm not sure I... There's a chance I did not hear Harpies in the Night. I think I did. Uh, someone else told me that was not the case. Don't know. Um, Harpies in the Night and Feline Nursery which we all knew about, we've known about for years from Mr. Central. Besides those songs, there were more surprises. Two, to be exact. Two or three? Uh, two. There were two surprises um, that blew my fucking mind. And this I had the gumption to ask Manny when we were listening to the tape. I'm like, what the fuck are these songs? I've never heard, and no one's ever spoken about them. It was a revelation. Listening to this for the first time was, was discovering, it was like discovering the lost city of Atlantis. Um, there were two other piano-based songs. One was called Infant Stranger, and one was called Lullaby. And they are both unfucking believable Like, I asked him, I'm like, what's next? He's like, this one's Lullaby. And I'm like, what the fuck does Lullaby what the fuck does lullaby sound like? And for Infant Stranger, there was it's, Infant Stranger starts off, and I'm like, what is the song? I don't know what the song is. And he goes, it's Infant Stranger. And then all of a sudden, as Glenn is singing, I can understand that he's singing the word over and over again, Infant Stranger, Infant Stranger. And I'm just going, nobody knew these songs existed. And it just goes to show you that if you think you fucking know everything, you fucking don't know shit. None of us know shit. Like... And it's just amazing that, that this stuff survived 40 years on these tapes. And I'm just, like, glad 
that I got to like, I'm glad I got to fucking hear it. I hope someday everybody gets to hear it. I hope this shit gets released the right way, officially someday. And I hope everybody gets compensated the way they're supposed to. And I hope that it all fucking works out. And so <clears throat> I am like so fucking tired from talking. It's been two and a half hours, I think. Has it been two and a half hours? Let's check. Two hours and 15 minutes. All right, it's pretty fucking long. Um, so if you guys enjoyed this um, and dug, dug what we're doing here, what I was doing here, whatever, if you guys enjoyed this, um, I would, I'm happy to do it again. I mean, look, we're all quarantined inside, you know. Um, I'm happy to do it again. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about that stuff. I didn't realize I had so much to say just now. I thought... I honestly thought I would talk for like 40 minutes and it would be over. But like, it's just like, you know, you start talking on something, it makes you talk about other stuff and other stuff and other stuff. Blah, 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 blah. You just keep going and going and going and going uh, uh, forever and ever and ever. Um, but if you guys like this, I mean, there's there's like 12. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. Thanks for tuning in and listening, man. Uh, I hope I wasn't too like fucking drawn out. But, you know, there's like 11 other songs that we could talk about and we could talk about some other stuff, too. And I'm more than. Uh, thanks. I'm going to call you Dom because I really don't want to butcher your name, man. Thank you, Dom, uh, for your comment. Uh, and I would love, you know, guys like fucking chime in. We could talk too. you know, we can like make this a conversation. You're very welcome, man. Um, I, I guess maybe. OK, maybe I will throw this up on YouTube, you know, share this with anybody you think might. James, I'm glad to hear that, man. Would love to do it. Um, and so just to let you know where the project stands currently, for those who are tuning in later or didn't miss the beginning. So I just transferred all of my, my entire um, interview archive to my main working hard drive. And my intention is to have to start over because I, I, I can't, I'm, the, the, the Final Cut Pro uh, files are, are destroyed. They're gone. I have to start from the beginning. But um, I'm... You're very welcome, Rue. Thank you, man. Russell, thank you, man. Thanks for thanks for listening and tuning in. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, Fiendcast. Hey, Fiendcast, anytime you want to talk, man, call me up. Call me up. Love talking to misfits because, you know, I'm a misfits nerd. Uh, I said that at the beginning of this broadcast. Misfits fans are the Star Wars nerds of the music world. You know how, like, every Star Wars character has like an entire backstory like Jabba's Palace like they did like Tales from the Bounty Hunter there's like this guy in the background he has this whole history about how he wound up in this moment in Jabba's Palace it's like the same fucking shit it's like the same shit except with the misfits and all these these this cast of characters but basically so I have tons and tons of work to do but here's what I'm hoping I'm hoping to release this 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 project okay and I don't know how I'm gonna do it for a lot of obvious reasons, but I made a promise to myself 10 years ago that I was going to do this. And I gave up so many times and got so frustrated so many times. And I am going to fucking keep that promise to myself for a lot of reasons. I'm going to keep my promise to myself. And this is, thank you, Justin. Thank you very much, man. We'll definitely do this again. Uh, I, I, I owe it to myself to fucking like, I owe it to myself not to any of you, not to anybody, because you know what? Ultimately, who knows who will fucking ever get to see it the way I want it to be seen. But 
and I looked to myself to fucking really overhaul and try and do this project. I started working on my next feature length film. Uh, we shot 20% of it, but I have to stop because of the fucking virus, you know? So it's like, all I can do really is editing work. So I might as well work on this, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the talks with a couple of very talented artists. You know who you are and we still have to fucking talk, uh, about, uh, creating some original art for this project. And, um, and I'll tell you one thing, uh, if I can't release this, if I, if I can't release this the way that I want to release it, um, I will release my project for free on the internet, like completely for free. The whole documentary, if it's like a two and a half hour movie or a two hour movie, I will release it for fucking for free and I will incorporate material that I wouldn't be able to use if I was um, commercially selling it. Because the truth of the matter is that whatever this product is, it's not going to be able to use any of the, the stuff that I want to use. I'm not going to be able to use any of the Misfits music. I can't use photos um, for a lot of reasons, you know, money obviously being one of them, but also, um, just, just in terms of like, you know, the infrastructure and red tape, it's, it's, it's fucking tough, man. It's really tough. And, and, uh, you know, uh, Tom and Umberto and, and those guys and, and their, their, their publishing company are dealing with like, you know, a huge kerfuffle right now. And so I might just go fuck this shit and just give it to the internet for free. Just give it. For all the fucking fiends, you know what I mean? Just, like, give it. Um, all the stories, just everything. Just just put it out there. Uh, maybe I'll set up a donation thing so I can recoup some of the costs uh, that was spent uh, on travel and whatever, equipment. Um, yes, Rick, there is... So, oh, man. Oh, man, I got it. There's one interview. I'm not going to talk about it now. We'll save it for a future one. There is one interview where I heard some somebody played me something that, like, ah, blew my fucking mind. I have an idea. We should do a collection episode where everybody takes a picture. I don't know if you could do that in the comments. Maybe we'll start a thread on the timeline. Everybody takes a picture of their, like, really choice misfits memorabilia. And, like, we'll have, like, a show and tell in the chat. While we're live, that might be fun for a future episode. I don't know. We'll, t we'll wait and see. But um, all right. I am so spent right now. If you enjoyed this, or, or better yet, we've already talked about that. If you know anybody who you think would enjoy this uh, long-ass talk, uh, share it with them, man. It's, it's public. Share it with everybody, you know? Um, just because, you know, it's just new content about the Misfits to talk about, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, just feel free to share it around. And, uh, like I said, uh, thank, thanks, thank you, everybody, man. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, th this was a lot of fun. All right, I'm really going to log off right now because I am exhausted and I need to eat breakfast.